The Matrix reloads, Star Trek rewraps, and The Simpsons has the most dead guest stars ever. This week on 302010. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine telling you what happened in the world, pointing out all the milestones and anniversaries of the cool stuff uh, we use as wonderful distractions for ourselves. Movies, TV, video games, music, and so very much more. We'll tell you all the cool stuff that came out 30, 20, and 10 years ago from the week of May 12th to the 18th across three decades. That's 93, 2003, and 2013. And it's a biggie. Uh, it's the basically the kickoff of summer movie mayhem and with two huge sequels with spaceships uh, that I have had wildly different opinions on at different times in my life, so I cannot wait to talk about them. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and nom de Dieu de putain de bordel de merde de saloperie de connard de enculé de ta mère. I love swearing in French. It's like wiping your ass with silk. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. Mm. Well, I'll be uh, powerlessly creating <laughs> whatever for the show, so welcome. Uh, you have the choice. Determinism demands it to go to patreon.com slash laser time and give us five bucks. Uh, thank you so much for your patronage. We love your support. We got some new, more bonus stuff coming your way very soon. Uh, let's get started with the show, 30 2010, because it's a, kind of a biggie. Uh, after some light weeks in terms of uh, movies, we got season finales, yeah. cancellations, and some of the biggest, most anticipated films of the year coming out in a single week across three decades. How about that? Yeah, I feel like movies for 93 is a little, it's quieter for a week or two. Right. Actually, next next week we got a couple a couple decent sized ones, but all the TV is is ending. We're we're yes. hit May, and, and this all the season finales and series finales, and I feel like that just kind of sucks up the air. Yeah, well, I mean that that was the yeah. showbiz industry. Like we don't want to overshadow our finales with our movies. <laughs> Surely we'll wait till June to put these out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they did back in the day. Oh, so, but we I, I, just to tease next week, we have one of the best mockbusters ever made. Really? I'm really excited about. Yeah. Okay. The kind of thing that Siskel and Ebert would punch each other about. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know exactly what that is for some reason. Um, I don't have a clue. So I look forward. <laughs> it's referenced way too many times on your favorite show, JR. Anyway, uh, 30 2010. Let's begin as we always do in 1993, May 12th to the 18th. This is a big one. Intel's new Pentium processor is unveiled. A week after I declared the demise of DOS, we get our Pentium processor. Ooh, I don't know what it is, but they say it's important. (laughs) Exactly. 100%. It's the fifth of something. I can tell that from the name. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. oh i never even thought of that the pentium 3 seems really stupid now yeah <laughs> but growing up this was like the holy grail of pc i had a 486 and when the pentium come out exactly you nailed it diana i had no idea what made it great i only knew it was great i wanted one and when i did finally jump from a 486 dos mm-hmm. to a pentium on windows i was in the future you know, it, it to I think I would have been like 15 or 16 when that happened to my 15 year old self. It was like that scene in Minority Report where he's moving all the things around because I went from typing these 
fucking stupid ass DOS commands mm-hmm. that I had a cheat sheet I had to look at every five seconds yep. to moving files. Ooh. Yes, to clean to having a dirty desktop. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. And oh uh, its CPU clock rate is fifty megahertz. Yeah. It's pretty good. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds like a lot of hertzes. Mm-hmm. And there's and mm-hmm. they're mega. Yeah, you know how long the Pentium chips suck around for? How long? This year. Well, I mean, in different variations, yeah. Yes, but what they're calling the Pentium chip, whatever the hell that is. Obviously, there have been updated version Pentium 2, Pentium Dual Core, Pentium 4. Are they dropping the Pentium name? They only announced this last September that Pentiums are discontinued in the laptops now. No shit. Yep. What? It's been well, it had... based on this technology, whatever it is, we don't know. We're idiots. <laughs> uh, it, it, will it have Intel inside still? Oh, no. Do, 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 do. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, moving into the movies of 1993, which you could you weren't really watching yet on your computer. That's the diff- That's the huge difference oh, God, in between no. the decades. No. Yeah. Uh, it couldn't do it yet. I mean, it was it was coming. A lot of people's first DVD player was the drive in their computer anyway. So yeah, I mean mm-hmm. the Microsoft Encarta. I watched a postage stamp of the Hindenburg burning That's, a million times. They had Jimi <laughs> Hendrix playing a flaming guitar. They had the Hindenburg and two other video files in Encarta. Yeah. And I remember showing them my babies. They're like, "Look, the computer can do movies, sorta." Same, um, but it blew me away at the time. But did. now I'm just looking at it and like, how did my eyes not bleed to death? <laughs> yeah, <sighs> that's not video. Like, uh, yes, if that, was a, if that was a free YouTube, you would turn it off because of the clarity. But yeah, the movies we have, oh boy, in 1993, I'm going to spoil this. They're the least exciting of the week, but like, they are. yeah, they're not quite the summer movies I thought Dave would pave the way for, but Dave moves up to number one at the box office, overtaking, what was it? What was number one? Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Word of mouth on that was not great. And word of mouth on Dave was Jesus Christ. Like I said last week, I almost resented the movie for how many people I had to hear be charmed by that movie. Uh, and it still works 30 yeah. years still later. Charm the pants off me. I don't oh. know where my pants are. Oh, Dave. But other movies out this week <laughs> include things that would probably be straight to HBO in any other year. Lance Henriksen and Thomas Ian Griffith's Excessive Force. Yeah. this is Thomas Ian Griffith is one of those guys I feel like he is like the D tier of the action stars in the 80s, mostly known as the bad guy in Karate Kid 3. And I was happy to see him pop up on Cobra Kai, but they, they tried to make him an action lead and he, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody asked for that. Yeah, excessive Yeah, force. so this is uh, very silly and not very well done, but... He got people got paid, I guess. I love Lance Hendrickson. Anything will get him a paycheck makes me happy. And I'm trying to remember the VHS that pimped the next movie to me over and over again because it wasn't <laughs> really in my kid wheelhouse. David Stratham, Richard Dreyfus, Irene Worth, and Mercedes Rule, and Lost in Yonkers. Lost in Yonkers. Yeah, so it's it's a Neil Simon play. It's mm-hmm. an autobiographical play, sort of, kind of. Uh, it's directed by Martha Coolidge, who I like. She previously did random. Remily Rose and Rose and uh, Weird Genius and Valley Girl, which is coming up on Classic Corner, and <laughs> it's about uh, these kids and they're kind of dumped in Yonkers with their extended family while their dad is a traveling salesman and Richard Dreyfus is their uncle who's a mobster and their aunt Mercedes Rule is uh, not quite special needs but slow would be a polite way to put it. Oh boy! And uh, you know, and their grandma's just like a mean, horrible bitch. And uh, as the thing goes on, you learn like, oh, this is why. People are mean, horrible people generally because bad things happen to them. Mm. And we should 
understand that and, you know, empathize a little bit. And it's supposed to be fine. You know, it's Neil Simon. It'll be cute. It'll be charming. It'll have some snappy dialogue. Yeah. And, Does Neil Simon have any great movies? Yeah. Goodbye, girl. That's no. pretty great. Um, I like Goodbye, girl. What did I, did I said Biloxi Blues. We talk, got to talk about on the show one time. Odd couple. Like Odd couple. Okay. Oh, that's Odd it? couple okay. two. Come on. No. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that TV version of Laughter on the Twenty Third Floor was pretty good. Yeah, there's uh, Neil Simon was pretty fucking prolific. Besides mm-hmm. just being popular, he was he's like the Stephen King of theater, and that like they just kept coming. Yeah. Also, fun note as we were talking about technology, y- Lost in Yonkers is the first movie digitally edited on an avid what the f- that movie really how yeah. I-, I would imagine maybe that was They're test driving it out yeah part of its budgeting process we don't want to try this on one of our big movies but um yeah well if it fucks up but the little people t- adapted play seems perfect for like yeah let's, let's test drive this yeah let's see how it goes can't so, fuck yeah, this up it's, it's all a series of one one camera shots yeah like <laughs> worst worst comes to worst we have to recut it with the actual film which they must have had to take the film and digitize, digitize it. it onto I don't what, know, dat get, tapes maybe how do you digitalize a film in 1993 huh. when again an encarta is a postage stamp <laughs> Right, but I mean, it's not its not that developing and processing and then editing film wasn't already an expensive process. Mm. It's worth the, it's probably worth the risk. And I have to imagine, given the contained nature of a lot of these shots, it's kind of the perfect guinea pig. You got a bunch of long takes with multiple shots. All right, let's feed it into the Avid. I don't know what, they, what yeah. it would have been at this point. Yeah, but... it was an Avid. Okay, uh, but Which yeah, that's, that's was shocking. It's still pretty new. It initially released in 89, apparently. So, I... Yeah, it's... I forget we were it's on sick of Star Wars on patreon.com slash laser time, but it's, episode two is kind of the first big digitally shot and edited film, even though there were some notable ones that wouldn't even make the first mention in the thirty twenty ten list. Mm-hmm. It had been done already, but it was a Lucas really did it huge with episode two. Yeah. But uh, there's I I can't I it still like boggles my mind how you edit on film. Because you have to make a couple copies of your movie, and you literally just take each shot yeah. and cut it, and, and have just strings of things taped to your wall yep. generally, and then you have to you you tape them together and run it and see how it goes. And you're like, oh, that shot's a little too long. Take a little chunk out, cut, splice, splicey thingy, There's put it back involved. in, see how it plays, and. When you digitally do it, you can just like you don't have to worry about oh, I'm going to fuck up this print. I'm going to have to get no. another print of this take. No, just do it. See things you cut off, uh, widen stuff. It, it is it is fun. Yeah, put that back in. Oh, I'm going to have to dig through a bin of film to find it. I like I like the idea of explaining to my grandson or something like as he's editing in Premiere like. Reason why there's a razor blade there to signify a cut, <laughs> is, is, but like, yeah, all the all the you terms. You laugh, but it, people I, will forget. People will forget. It's like, what is that weird save icon? It yeah. doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. just these. <laughs> it's a these floppy disk. To say. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes. 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 And um. And all the terms there, splice, fade, like it was all weird stuff you did with a lens. Mm-hmm. And now it's just something you do in a uh, on an ad, yep. in a program. You did a button, and you're like, all right, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's move on to man, a movie that disappoints me. Yeah. I want so many movies uh, to be like this, or I want so many movies to tell this story, but not this movie. This is not a good movie. Yeah. It this is bad. This is a movie. I, I, I think when as the summer was moving forward, we couldn't wait to eventually see at the kid's house whose parents would rent whatever he wants. Surely, this will be the 
it was talked about like we were all in love with Boys in the Hood and just sort of wanted to see more badass black movies with awesome soundtracks. And uh, this ain't exactly it. Big Daddy Kane, Billy Zane, hey, they rhyme, Blair Underwood, Tone Loke, Stephen Baldwin, and Mario Van Peebles. It's Posse. Posse. There were cowboys in the West not everyone knew about. Damn, who turned out the lights? Just a little humor. They were wilder than the Wild West. You crazy weasel son of a... <laughs> and had their own brand of justice. You ought to be working on saving your black soul. I'm working on saving my black hide. Theirs is the untold story of Posse. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, so <coughs> I applaud the attempt. Okay. <coughs> the Old West is a huge area. Okay. Mm -hmm. What we think of as the Old West is larger than Spain, France, Italy, and Germany combined. Okay. In area, it's larger than all of them. I've driven through it and twice and it takes days. It's just at like yeah. 100 miles an hour. Oh, and there it were is big, and it's weird that we're at this time where we've had a couple successful westerns like Unforgiven and Dances with Wolves. Mm -hmm. We get kind of this mini run of revisionist westerns in the early nineties. Mm -hmm. Also, Young Guns, I think that helped. And it's yeah. like, yes, this is exactly what you, we're also going to get a Ladies in the Old West movie. But yes, black folks in the Old West. Yeah, but oh my, my God, point yes. was, there's not one Old West. There were mm. radically different Old West. If you tried to be a black cowboy in Utah, you'd probably get lynched. If you tried to be a black cowboy in New Mexico, no one would look twice at you because one out of four cowboys in New Mexico were black. I thought okay. an overwhelming number of cowboys were actually black, and that's something that I, Hollywood's always hit. I hate to point out, but why do you think they're called boys? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh yeah, boy. that's that's kind of part of it. Because obviously, what's, you know... If you're a freed black person, heading west seems like a good idea. Mm -hmm. Get the fuck away from civilization after after the Civil War. Head west. Why the hell not? Maybe they won't fuck with you there. Of course they'll fuck with you there because white people are the worst. Yeah. But, <laughs> yes, there are so many black cowboy stories that need to be told. And I'm just going to, before I forget about it, the harder they fall on Netflix. Fucking good black cowboy movie. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. Idris Elba looks so good dressed like that. He should just wear it all the time. Anyway, so Mario Van Peebles coming off of New Jack City, which was a huge hit. Yeah. Big old crossover hit. Uh, probably the best movie he ever made. And he kind of, this is kind of a blank check situation, which we'll have a bunch of those this episode of like, well, what do you want to do now? I want to cash in my chips and I want to make a Western about black folks. Mm -hmm. My problem with this one is that he tries to put in everything instead of telling one single story, there's like 18 different facets of being black in the old West in this. And it's just kind of a mess, but the cast is fun. Yeah. It's, it's like a, a constant cast. It's a constant. It a, hey, it's that guy. It's got like, Isaac Neville? Hayes, Nipsey Russell and Pam Greer. <laughs> so what he's wrote at the end. Holy shit. <laughs> great cast. Uh, great topic. Poor execution. Just yeah. doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, that's that's I what I remember. I have not seen this in a long, long time, but it, it, it was very it was so looked forward to until it actually came out. And the reports yeah. from little kids are like, this isn't a movie for us. Right. But it's like, OK, they're Buffalo soldiers and it's the Spanish-American War and also they're convicts. And it's like that we've already picked a lot. Now, just making a movie about Buffalo soldiers. Yes, there should be like that should be a genre. That's a fascinating story. No, that's kind of bummed. I'm kind of bummed. I think it made its money back, but yes, yeah, please, it was, more diverse Westerns. 
Not the slam dunk I think everybody was believing it to be, uh, but uh, TV had a bunch of notable stuff, uh, kind of in a way concluding this week, because it starts off, I remember I hadn't watched the show in years, but I was watching it in syndication more than I was watching new episodes, and I think the reason for that had all to do with how little uh, Kevin Arnold wasn't anymore. (laughs) The Wonder Years ends... Uh, it started in 1988. I think one of the most expensive shows ever made premieres after the Super Bowl. Um, a lot of people wow. watched The Wonder Years. It was a huge hit, and I, I always went on to compliment it. It was well. It eventually became a huge hit. Yeah. It was initially, I think, it did like its eighth episode run and was canceled, and then it won the Emmy, and everyone mm. went, "Oh shit! Okay, we're gonna bring it back." And then it finally found its audience. Yeah, it, it's, and, a, it's a hell of a success story, The Wonder Years, because it's a hard sell of a show. But it's such an awesome show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. growing up, I empathized and sympathized with Kevin Arnold so much. Right. I had yeah. no real historical context of the 60s when I started watching the show in 1988. You know, it would have been 10. You know, the 60s are just the Brady Bunch to me. Yep. And this mm-hmm. was the show that kind of went like, you know, Vietnam social changes, social protest, and seeing that through a child's eyes just uh, pulled me in. But yeah, like a lot of the rest of America, once uh, Fred Savage had a growth spurt, it was just <laughs> like, well, okay. It, it, not, it just, I remember tuning not, in for this episode yeah. and like, I know, the, I know the narrator is a wet bandit. <laughs> and at this point, Fred Savage kind of looks exactly like him. They're like the same height. Why is this being narrated by someone who's clearly not him? That's and, true. He's 16 now. and, and Very looks, visibly not 16 yeah. in the show. And, 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 and Yeah, he always looked young, but still. And, 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 but the, I think the, what I always compliment the show, and that's just timing on my part, it, it's a show that takes place in my dad's childhood with a character my age. So it was like this perfect thing to watch in a one TV household. And for me to, yes, like hmm. what the fuck was that about? Like, uh, did you have any friends die in Vietnam? Like, like learn about being able to turn to my parents and contextualize the history I'm seeing unfold on the wonder years. And it's, but it's also a sweet show about a child just starting to understand the world. And that gets a whole lot less cute when he's approaching being 18 years old. And, but but the ultimate goal of the Wonder Years mm-hmm. was that it was going to end with Kevin's father's dying and him mm-hmm. encountering the dead body. Uh, in the end, they went with a voiceover saying he like died two years after this episode aired, which I don't know. I think they should have gone for the full on tugging your heartstrings. The Wonder Years, the meaning of it was when you were... Uh, growing up experiencing wonder it's a boy's journey into manhood and having kevin's journey end with the death of his father that's frequently a jolt to many people to bring them into like full-on adulthood Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in an era where dads died like that and again like i think for this show one of my favorite episodes we were watching was that you know in that day and age not necessarily for me, but your dad was this guy who appeared at night and you were all afraid of and was grumpy and drank. <laughs> and there's that great episode where he like has to go with him to work one day and see like, oh, wow, his life really sucks here. <laughs> like, that episode stuck with me. It's really good. Life. I'm, I'm going to show it to my own kids sometime just to because I think it's a beautiful short piece of cinema that shows you that your parents are human. And yep. that is such a tough thing for kids to understand yeah kids think parents are some combination of god and superman and jesus okay Mm. it's it 
or the devil, or the devil, (laughs) or Uh, some asshole I'm stuck with. Yeah, yeah. uh, Until you become. (laughs) I don't mean you, Dad. I don't mean you, Dad. (laughs) My point was they don't think of parents as fully human, and that episode does make you realize parents are fully human. Yeah, it's 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 just that that Kevin Arnold has sat around mythologizing his own upbringing and these odd little casts in his school is like, these all exist in your dad's work. And it's basically the exactly the same as what you're feeling in school, like a bunch of shit beyond his control that he has to do because he's been told to. And and he's got a boss. Uh, (laughs) It's weird to see your dad's boss or your dad being reamed by his boss. But yeah, the wonder years, pretty fucking great show. I, I don't know that I still have that clip of the replacement music. It's hard to find as it was originally <laughs> intended. Uh, it's, it's great. I, it, it is available on streaming now with like 90% of the music. And then the sound-alikes are kind of fun because it's like, they're like his, name that tune. Hysterical. Like, how, come, how many notes does it take for you to realize, oh, I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be Light My Fire. The Light My Fire one is my favorite example. <laughs> Gonna set the night on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, doing a little research for this show, I did learn that both Fred Savage and Danica McKellar mm-hmm. had their first kiss ever in their lives with each other on the show. Wow. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's both sweet and horrible. Is That's that... Dr. Danica McKellar to you. Is that a... correct? Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, she's a doctorate that... in mathematics and writes books yep. about like math is for girls. It's cool. Yes. I love yeah. her. And it's still like kind uh, of a little smoke show. It's it, it's nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Totally. And she's I, like I, hotter than ever. <laughs> I had a huge crush on Winnie growing up. And uh, my first kiss was actually in a play as well. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I really felt for these two kids as they talk about in the clip. Mine, mine was in a play as well, but unfortunately it was a play I wrote in my 30s. And so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, we have a little clip of said anecdote. And the, they couldn't use the first one because right before we kissed, I, like, smiled. I was just too excited. I was like, it was too much anticipation. You know, it's very nerve-wracking. You know, I'm young. I don't, I don't think I kissed a girl before that. You know, I, I don't know, kissing girls. And our moms were there, and I remember at the end, like, they stand up and applauded us, you know. <laughs> wow! It's actually you it's imagine the your very first kiss ends with a cast and crew standing up and applauding you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess that's, yeah, a positive, positive angle of that scenario. Uh, but, yeah, the Wonder Years concluded. Uh, yeah, they did. They, it has a proper finale, but uh, it's it's yeah. still. I think they wanted another season, but it's you know they definitely wanted another season, and they were a little bitter that they didn't get it, and that's why I think they kill Kevin's dad in the voiceover mm-hmm. just to be mm-hmm. like, well, fine, here's here's how we wanted to end the show, but fine. Here, here's the next season we would have done. We're gonna tell you about where all the characters end up. Yeah. And it's nice. You find out, no, they don't stay together, but they stay really good friends. And that's, like, really sweet. They're supportive of each other. Yeah. That's heartwarming. I find that more heartwarming than, like, and then they lived happily ever after. (laughs) And uh, a show, another show concludes, takes a bow this week. I don't know a single thing about Knott's Landing, except I avoided watching it. I did not know it started. It started in the 70s. It yep, is ending yep. now. That's yeah, incredible. It's a Dallas spinoff, technically. It's it's a nighttime soap. 
and and as all soaps are, there's a ton of people that come through the door, um, including I remember when they were advertising 30 Rock starting. Alec Baldwin, part of the cell was this is Alec Baldwin's first regular gig on TV since Knott's Landing. Right. I forgot, wow. <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah, but not uh, But yeah, there are over 200 episodes of this show. And mm. good luck finding anyone who cares about this show. Yeah. Because mm. there, there is like nothing out there, people. I, I try to do a little, oh, I haven't really, I know this show existed, but I haven't seen anything. Let me watch a retrospective on it. Nope. <laughs> no one cares about Knott's Landing right. at all. Right. There was, I nope. mean, yeah, nobody was talking about it when I was a kid. Nobody was watching that show my age. So it's. Well, yeah, that's not for you. I know, it's I know, I know. It's just, it's just odd for something to have to spread across three decades like that. Like all, not just the social change, but think about the fashion changes in that show <laughs> from oh. the 70s to the, to the mid 90s. Oh, it's just got to look hilarious. Oh, man. <laughs> Now I want to go back and watch it. Yeah. I want to binge that fucker. I'm doing Knott's Landing, hoes. No. <laughs> but another show is getting canceled, and, and that's Krusty the Clown. Krusty the Clown. Wow, I really tongue-twisted myself. <laughs> Krusty gets canceled, the season finale, uh, season four finale of The Simpsons. I think one of the best episodes ever. And I, I, when I was doing Talking yeah. Simpsons, I declared Krusty is the MVP of that season anyway. And you could, you could, this season you can really see the writers falling in love with Krusty. And that's because he was, other than Kent Brockman, he was Springfield's localized analogy for all showbiz. Any, any bad behavior an actor could get up to or shenanigans a Hollywood situation could get into, it would always be Krusty. He's got a drug and alcohol problem. Uh, he's a narcissist. It's awesome that it's the, it's the town's clown uh, that is this person. And it is also the debut of Jesus, one of my favorite uh, socialist propaganda cartoon characters, Worker and Parasite. Oh, my (laughs) My God. This is where you would watch Itchy and Scratchy, except they're on the Gabbo show now. (laughs) So here's Eastern Europe's favorite cat and mouse team, Worker and Parasite. I don't know about you guys. How how much Eastern European animation have you seen to this point? Because I had seen zero. Yeah, yes, like I had one or two little bits. Like every now and then, like something would pop up, like Liquid Television or PBS would run something, and and you would see like weird Russian cartoons, and you'd be like the fuck is going on over there like do they not want to entertain their children they want to scare the children is that if you play the game atomic heart they have like authentic soviet animation from the 50s in it and it is transfixing but the only thing i and i i I could be wrong about this because i think i explained at the time i just purchased the gene deutsch collection of tom and jerry and Mm. for to save money on animation costs and mgm was really big on saving money at that point despite tom and jerry is kind of the most lavish of the slapstick characters in terms of animation they won all the oscars they farmed out the animation to poland and Hmm. gene deutsch over oversaw i think 13 tom and jerry cartoons and if you watch them they are haunting they are very (laughs) cheap like the sound is very weird but they're silent characters it feels like every cartoon feels like a bad dream and uh that 
I want to say that's what they were parodying because all of a sudden, if you yeah. grew up loving Tom and Jerry, why is this cheap and weird? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, according to David Silverman, the producer, uh, a lot of it is based on Surrogat, which is a 1961 Yugoslavian short film wow. by a Croatian director, wow. and it's on YouTube. And I'm looking at it right now, and it's less lavish uh, than, <laughs> than Worker and Parasite, but. I see what he's going for. The idea that it's these weird, everything is 2d and there's weird shapes and the background doesn't really mesh with everything. And yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm seeing it. Yeah. yeah this is why we needed to win the cold war people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You compare our Winnie the Pooh to the Russian Vinnie Pooh, which I think is also on YouTube and it's really charming, but it's like, this is super depressing. <laughs> why does he live in like a tire fire? Like there's smoke everywhere. Are you okay? Vinnie Pooh. Uh, and I, I also like pointing out it never bothered me as a kid watching The Simpsons, but like their big show is a, kind of a format that has had been dead for or dying for a while. The clown presents the cartoons and he's yeah. overtaken by the puppet, <laughs> the ventriloquist puppet. That they, no, the world can't stop talking about Gabo, Gabo, Gabo. It's just a conceit to be there to get Krusty canceled. Don't think about it too much. But, uh, yeah, it just serves as this giant analogy for showbiz, and you get to see show crusty showbiz ties, and I love pointing out how old The Simpsons is by how many... This episode has the most guest stars of any Simpsons episode other than, like, the baseball episode, and almost all of them are dead. It, it quite... It's 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 crazy to go through, especially because Luke Perry, that Aww, he should still be with Such us. Luke Perry. But, like, if I gave you a list in, like, all of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Bette Midler would outlive all these other people? <laughs> yes. Uh, Johnny Carson, gone. Hugh Hefner, uh, Luke Perry, Barry White. Uh, is there, I think there's more. Uh, but, yeah, none of them with us um, anymore. But treated like extravagant stars that, you know, me as a little kid barely knew who they were. But God, there are so many references that come so fast and furious in this. The, the yeah. idea that, you know, the red hot chili peppers need to change their lyrics. Like, like the it's a fucking shoe. Ed Sullivan gag. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, Bette Medler singing, which is, you know, a reference to the Carson going off the air, plus the whole thing of her cleaning up highways, which was a pr really new thing. And like, there would actually be news stories about, like, yeah, Bette Medler spent sponsored, you know, clean up on a highway. Doesn't mean she personally does it. And then, kills people when they litter but i'll get you for this midler <laughs> i don't know joke. why but that sticks real hard it's, it's what i always thought about every time we went past the robin williams highway because he, he did the same thing yeah. for outside of san francisco season four is nothing but bangers yep. seriously i mean i i i have listeners i know you don't believe me i have to stop myself from putting as many Simpsons episodes on the show as I want to, because I would literally put them every week. Yeah. That would make yeah. me smile. It would be like, well, this was the most important piece of television for me every single week it aired. Yeah. And in revisiting it uh, in order, the show was a runaway success immediately by being different, but there's a certain kind of confidence that the show finds in the fourth season where like, we can be sillier than I think Matt Groening wanted us to be in the beginning. Uh, this can still be a cartoon. 
after all. And it's just wild, crazy new ideas. Like just the, again, the crusty is the analogy for show business. Is he a children's show host? Is he the tonight show host? This episode moves back and forth <laughs> over what, mm-hmm. what format his show really is because it, he, they treat him like Donnie Carson, even though he's, he's throwing the cartoons. Uh, yeah. It's, it's great. And Carson's here. So we know he's not actually Carson. Yes. Oh, I God, I forgot about Gabo somehow. And Gabo. I wish I could, I wish I could bottle the feeling I had when I was watching Turner Classic Movies one day and I found out The Great Gabbo is a movie yeah. about a ventriloquist <laughs> dummy from 1929. Yeah. And I just lost my mind. I was like, that's real. Why? That's so obscure. Why would you do that? Because <laughs> the Simpsons writers were nerds. Nerds. And a, Huge nerds. And, 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 and older comedy writers that people probably remember as they're like kind of redefining what television comedy is. And this is the... I, I know there's a lot of beloved favorites in the fifth season, but like the fourth season is like, I think where the Simpsons figures out who they are and uh, it, it embraces the real with the wacky and it just so gracefully and, and starts, we get, we learn so much more about all these side characters. It's in a way that feels organic, not like, I guess we better do a Mo episode. <laughs> uh, it's just fun. And this is a great way to tie it all together with and, and I think stands out to like where The Simpsons was right now. It was not the highest rated thing on television. It was the coolest thing on network television. And mm-hmm. that's how they got all the coolest guest stars like <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor, uh, <laughs> yeah. who was doing double cool. duty. I think she was she was the voice of Maggie in this season and mm-hmm. uh, recorded these lines in that same yep. session, which I is like to, the idea. <laughs> She spends her time at home polishing uh, cleaning her giant diamonds with a toothbrush. Yes, yeah. polishing her Oscars. <laughs> Got a fire that agent of mine. Also, this week, this is and this is something I lived through and is so vague. Jamie Foxworth and uh, Telma, Telma Hopkins make their final regular appearance on the TV show Family Matters. Uh, that says Judy and Rachel. Uh, Hopkins comes back, but uh, Judy Foxworth's character just there's no explanation. But you didn't need one because at this point, it was pretty clear who was watching the show. It was not necessarily the Cosby audience. It was kids on TGIF. And I think everybody knows that Family Matters did not start start out as the Steve Urkel show. Steve Urkel did not exist for dozens of episodes. and But once he did, this show about this black family was a massive afterthought. It was Laura and <laughs> the Laura and Steve show and to a much lesser extent, their brother. Uh, and, and occasionally Carl and nobody else mattered. There were little kids on that show. There was a grandma on that show. They all faded into the background. So are these some of the kids or neighbors or who, I think, who were Judy and I think, I think they're, I don't actually know, but uh, I think Tal- <laughs> Talma, I think is the older one, but like okay. the, the show totally lost its original focus. Once the character of Steve Urkel came on and it basically rewrote itself around him. And oh, she's the younger Judy's the younger daughter. You're right. Okay, there's an even younger daughter. They got rid of the the youngest, the cute one? Yeah. Just for the Steve Urkel show. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, you don't... I mean, well, they're important cute kids to every other show, but nope. No, Steve Urkel was the breakout and a pioneer for black nerds. Got to give him that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of black nerds. But yeah, yeah, this is one of the actor's response when he finds out uh, about the show becoming into... Uh, even more the Steve Urkel I knew show. exactly what this was going to be. <laughs> no, 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 no! I'm an actor! I'm a fucking actor! I'm a real actor! I did Richard III! I was in True West with Sherman Helmsley! I was in Die Hard, damn it! 
Fuck Steve Urkel! <laughs> By the way, yeah, if you want to see Reginald Vell Johnson outside of a cop uniform, he's also in Posse. Yep. <laughs> he's also Everybody in Posse. Using my horrible transition to black nerds, the last episode of SNL with Chris Rock as a regular cast member airs. Uh, this is the death of my SNL. You know, uh, this is the not it's not dead, dead, but OK, it's it's putting it on life support because we've been losing a couple members this cast season. And it's just like, well, that was my favorite lineup of all time. If you look mm-hmm. at the beginning lineup yeah. of 1992 at the start of it, it was like for me personally, that's the top. And Chris Rock was such a fresh voice on mm-hmm. that cast. You know, that was not their best years for black jokes and black sketches except for chris rock who was killing it and just was so funny and i i wish he had had a better transition to movies i wish we would have gotten him to be the eddie murphy because that would have been some golden films but we just never did sure i just i never felt him to be just not a great actor has has some good performances uh but but he's a phenomenal stand-up even when you know you might take issues with some material. He's just like a workhorse of a stand-up. And the things he's done have all been pretty interesting. I think the most interesting thing that happened here, he left to join in Living Color. What? Like right out like what for one season before it too gets can it gets canceled. Yeah, he's on the last season as like a featured player and he did a couple uh he they tried they made a recurring sketch out of his character from um Oh, I'm gonna get you sucka. Let me get just oh. one rib. Um <laughs> Yeah, did he did he bring the dark side with that X? I I don't. I'm sure that's intellectual property of NBC. Um, (laughs) But the thing that all suburban white girls love is is a show hosted by the Black Panthers. (laughs) (laughs) I love Nat X. God, I wish I had that. Yeah, again, that leans into his his you know being a stand up and being a talk show host. Like there's there's a ton of overlap there. And if you read the behind the scenes of SNL, it's it's tough for any new writer to break in with material there especially you know i don't know i I don't know how many other black writers there were at snl this time i'm gonna guess very few you could see that occasionally chris rock has a token part and then he has a part that he clearly wrote and hustled to get through the writer's room and Mm -hmm. uh i I think that's where he was really gifted on that show and it it was a huge loss because this is like when i start becoming obsessed with snl but then like the next season is basically where i start taping it and studying it every week uh the the final Phil Hartman season I I call it uh, yeah. where I think maybe what Jr's talking about truly dies at the end of the next season and they have that one awkward season where every single punchline is about gay rape uh, mm. every every single joke is about that mm. moving on into the Eurovision Song Contest which we got uh, <laughs> n- multiple entries this year Ireland. Ireland. Wait, is it the band Ireland or the, the nation of Ireland? No, I, the nation of Ireland wins with Neve Cavanaugh's in ah. your eyes, which is uh, the joke. Explain. I'm explaining an episode of an Irish sitcom now. The joke from Father Ted about why they are trying to lose is because Ireland did really well through the 90s because they would just like put up some like Celtic band and they just kick everyone's ass. And if you win, you have to host and hosting is expensive. And Ireland didn't have a great economy pre-EU. So... Um, <laughs> That's why on the episode of Father Ted, they try to tank it by having my lovely horse be the com- competition. <laughs> okay. But uh, I don't know. Let's, let's hear some of what, what does Neve Cavanaugh sound like? Eurovision. It, just a brief explanation of the Eurovision song. Con. It's easy to understand. It's like American Idol, okay. but for all of Europe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
after World War II, the countries of Europe <laughs> had slaughtered and killed each other in the tens of millions, and then they said, hey, how about we sing it out? Yes. Yeah. Show us Pretty what much. you got. And Yeah, the- and it is a lot of fun to watch. I love that it's very slowly catching on in the U.S. It's just being a the campiest, goofiest, biggest, most ridiculous thing you ever saw. <laughs> Show them the emotion, my feelings locked inside. Made myself an island. Try to take my heart and hide. I built you all around me. Afraid That's our winner, uh, in your eyes. Uh, not Peter Gabriel. But uh what do you think the most famous Eurovision song is? The, the like maybe got some chart international action. Uh, something something Baba. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ABBA, ABBA used to do really well at Eurovision. And wow. Celine Dion sang for Switzerland for a couple times and did real well. Yeah. Because it's the gold. Does I mean, Yaya yeah, Ding Dong count? Yaya yeah, Ding Dong absolutely should count. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> it should have been their actual submission from Iceland. I would have loved that. It sounds like something a bored prostitute would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, ding dong, five dollars. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on into games, video games of 1993, 30 years ago, May 12th to the 18th. Uh, I didn't have a Game Boy because the last thing my parents wanted was this video game obsession to follow me around. <laughs> <laughs> wherever i went but i remember finally getting one and playing it on a bus with a battery pack like the size of my thigh uh, <laughs> but this i i got to i didn't get to experience kirby as a result of that because that's where he debuted and uh stuck around for a little while see i think i weirdly have one of his games on my desk uh oh, wow <laughs> kirby's adventure hits the nes like very very late in the nes life cycle but a very very good game so many bangers at the end of the NES's life cycle, and I think this is the best of them all. Okay, if you're you're talking about 1993 and onwards, I think this is the best NES game. It's the second biggest NES game of all time, and they are getting everything out of this system and it's made with that nintendo seal of quality Mm -hmm. and this is where kirby becomes kirby okay in kirby's game boy he didn't absorb the powers of his enemies and that is such a crucial part of his character Mm -hmm. and this is the game where he gains that ability and it influences everything you do in the game that I'd say this is the first true Kirby game. And, and the, was, the Game Boy one is a good proto one, but this is the first real and one. And not having been, been able to experience Dreamland 1 to 3, I don't know if Diana remembers this, the Game Boy's in black and white. Something about mm-hmm. the West marketing materials also marketed Kirby as white. So this is the first time you get to see him in his real color, which is pink, because you'd never been able to see that on the Game Boy, which was kind of weird, because a lot of us thought Kirby was white. Because... <laughs> And we lost another one of our proud white members. Yeah, why gotta be white? Yeah, there's a little commercial for Kirby. Love the Kirby commercials. Who's Kirby? Behind the flabby facade, a physical powerhouse. A street fighter. A weapons expert. He's whatever the situation demands. In Kirby's adventure, evil King Didi stolen Dreamland's dreams. <laughs> I love the animation. The best animation you would see on television was in the commercials, and this this is no exception. Also out this week, we got Time Gal for Sega CD. <laughs> Sega yeah. C- it's another, hey, you know how cool Dragon's Lair was? Super cool. Okay, 
except every other game that tries to be it fails miserably, and this is another one in that mm, long lineup. File it in the Brain Dead 13 pile. But then a, a, a version of one of my favorite games uh, that I think is the most enhanced that it ever got. Yes. And I'm going to say this. If you want to play Final Fight, Final Fight for the Sega CD is the best version of Final Fight out there because it's got extra levels. You can play all three characters, and it's got co-op. Yeah, it's arcade and perfect. And it's got a awesome score that the arcade didn't have because yes. the arcade wasn't a CD. It's arcade perfect and then some. I do not... Uh, man, this commercial... Hey! You still don't have a Sega CD? What are you waiting for? Nintendo to make one? You have seen the games, right? Wrong answer, man. Show them! <laughs> Showing very, very little gameplay. Because <laughs> the games sucked. <laughs> the games were okay. not good. The games sucked. They really did. Take everything we said about Encarta in the previous uh, segment and push that over to Sega CD. That was what most Sega CD games were. Yeah. I'm editing footage of Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. This is awesome. <laughs> but do they have Johnny Turbo? No, they don't. No. That's why but they man- failed. Fuck them. I'm pretty sure he came in here and smashed my window and yelled at me about what was actually the very first TV console. And if I got it wrong, I'd die. I, I, I just love that just proves how much Diane is paying attention, that she remembered Johnny Turbo. I can't stop thinking about Johnny Turbo. Always. Every now and then I'll be minding my own business and all of a sudden Johnny Turbo will pop in my head and I'll go like, what were they thinking though? No, no, no. What you really got to ask yourself is, what is Johnny Turbo doing now? Because yeah. if he if he was like thirty, I think he's at least thirty at the time of that ad. Yeah, okay. he's yeah. in his sixties now. Yeah, I'm not. picturing a sixty year old at the retirement community going around <laughs> yelling at people with Alzheimer's, saying, "Did you know that the Sega is not the first CD system?" Yeah. And I'm just going like, "Please, <laughs> I need my medicine." <laughs> There's no cooldowns on this Turbo Duo. No premium purchases. See, and Diana's slowly crumpling her notes. Mrs. Diana Turbo. Uh, (laughs) 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 Can't stop thinking about him. Uh, A rare comic book entry for 30 years ago. Uh, The Tick, Volume 1, comes to an end. And I'm I'm sort of unclear. uh, But I guess it's a highly independent black and white comic. Yeah. There were 12 issues of The Tick Mm -hmm. published between... 1988 and 1993. What? Yeah. So are they like every six months? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Almost. Whenever they can, whenever Ben Edlund could crank them out. And that's every time I look at the comic strip page, like, how is this enough to gain any kind of fandom? But it was just a smaller world with fewer options. And if you wanted something like the tick, there was nothing else like it. Yeah. Was blown away by the tick comic book. Mm -hmm. And I read it and I was like, okay, where's the rest of it? And I, the comic book shop owner was like, that's it. You've read all the tick. I'm like, that's impossible. This is like one arc of Spider-Man. And now I've consumed all the tick there is in the world. Yeah. But they went all out. You know, it was a black and white comic, but they did gimmicks. They had uh, an episode where they put red into the terror's eye. They did a die cut <laughs> cover. And the final issue ends with the appearance of the uh, terror. And, you know, 
Ben has never resolved the comic. His interest <laughs> went out there. Who would? Why? Why, Ben? You you worked so hard producing twelve issues between nineteen eighty eight and nineteen ninety three, but yeah. he took that and he made a mighty oak grow out of it because yeah. there's been three TV series yeah. about a twelve issue comic book. Yep. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! The Ninja yeah. Turtles. That's how. <laughs> I yeah. think they had they, about I, a much under their belt. I guess I'm trying to figure out the timing of when he like did he finish it and then sell it as for the TV show because the TV show is in like a little less than a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, he would just go on to like so work. They in must TV. be working on it now. And uh, I, I, he worked on Firefly for a little while, I believe. Mm-hmm. But then starting the tick, he hires a, a scrappy young writer named Christopher McCullough who would change his name to Jackson Public and create something Yay. very much in the same tone as the tick with Venture Brothers. So never yeah. mind. We'll get ben, to that. Ben Edlin wrote, I think, my favorite episode of Venture Brothers. So Did he? It's the Scoop it's the Scooby Doo one. I just I love how <laughs> fucked up it is. It's so fucked up. I have never actually read the tick. Should yeah, I, I, I have yes. I don't know that I have. I'm going to say that the tick is is worth a read. Asterisk, I haven't read it in almost 30 years at this point. Okay. okay. My I, memory I love is... the cartoon. I I love the short-lived live-action version. I never quite got into the Amazon one. The Sarah Winifred's tick. weirder than all of them, I will say that. I mean, I love I love <laughs> me my man-eating... Chairface Chippendale? Yes, definitely weirder than Chairface Chippendale. I love me my man-eating cow. Uh, yeah. He, but he turns good. First oh. he starts out evil, but then the man-eating cow becomes a force for good in the world. Oh, thank goodness. But uh, there's a great scene where the tick is like, Here's, here, we're about to explain the meaning of everything and everything you'll need to know to overcome this problems or i could show you how milk is made oh show me where how milk is made and then they cut away from all the action and it's the tick touring a milk production facility and at the end he's like all happy that he learned how to make milk instead of you know learning what he needs to know to save the universe so that's the tick comp yeah, gotcha. yeah, I think I have it somewhere. I, I have not read it. I've only read like an issue or two during this period or during the period it was being published. But let's move into music of 1993, uh, beyond Eurovision. We got Dreamland by Aztec, Aztec Camera. Great name. Uh, Alive 3 by Kiss. Pull yeah. by Winger. Uh, glad to see Stuart still rocking that shirt on the new Peepus <laughs> and Butthead. Guru's Chasmataz Volume 1, the debut of Guru. <laughs> Smetaz Volume One seems like seems like somebody who hates music is naming an album. Painted Desert Serenade by Joshua Cadison and Janet by Janet Jackson, and you probably know it by the cover. Oh my God! You know that cover. People were shocked by that cover because, like, Janet's been huge for a while now, you know, but she's she's been getting sexier and sexier as she goes. You know, Rhythm Nation is sexier than she was, you know, on good times or whatever it's like and she's getting sexier and se- not good times what is it uh what's happening mm-hmm. and she's getting sexier and sexier and this one is just some guys holding her tits and yeah. she looks like the hottest woman in the world and we all go fuck and then this album we will not be able to avoid it for pretty right. much the rest of the year it's, it's like just a massive hit because half the album half the songs are hit like massive hit singles it's yeah got like the they're, most they're really good they're really catchy they're can't all, complain they're all different 
And uh, so we're going to go out with That's the Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson because it's at number one. But say right there, oh, we got to reload the matrix when we get back. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. Today we're going to be covering the Brian De Palmer film, Blowout. Yeah. And I've heard yeah. of Brian De Palma. I didn't have a sense of him as a filmmaker. That's if, if okay. you said, "What's a Brian De Palma film?" I'd be like, "I know the name." Your lifetime yeah. has I, been in largely Brian De Palma work for hire stuff. Has okay? Yeah. Did he also do Scarface? Yes. Or yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. And the Untouchables. I I run very hot and cold with De Palma. Like oh, I've yes. seen a lot of his movies and. When he's good, he's really, really good. And when he's bad, it is unwatchable. Uh, and okay. sometimes you get the best of both worlds and you call that movie Body Double. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, you... <laughs> he, I love he, Body Double. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Coming in with Sleeping Awake by P.O.D. What did P.O.D. stand for? It's something Christian, right? Uh, Prophets of Disciples or something like that. All of the soundtrack we will talk about shortly. Welcome to 2003. May 12th to the 18th is the area we'll be covering in this episode of 302010. And for me this week, there was only one thing in town that anybody cared about. Uh, boys <laughs> cared about. Uh but there's some music to talk about uh, from 20 years ago. Uh, new releases, like, say, figure number five from Soil Work. Hello. Uh, Politics of the Business by Prince Paul. The Golden Age of Grotesque by Marilyn Manson. Good Morning by Alkaline Trio. Uh, the Impossibility of Reason by Chimera. Chimera. Uh, Out of the Vein by Third Eye Blind. Year of the Spider by Cold. Vulnerable by Tricky. Rabbits Don't Come Easy by Halloween. Get Busy by Sean Paul is still number one. Uh, let's get some depressing news out of the way. <laughs> uh, the Riyadh compound bombings uh, are carried out by Al-Qaeda and kill 26 people in 2003. Yeah, this is, yeah. I, I, like how, I like when they play the hits, you know, when mm. it's just about we don't like there being Americans in Saudi Arabia. I think that's yeah. kind of a <laughs> – yeah, why would you? Yeah, there's there's very – little that on like civil matters that al-qaeda disagrees with the saudi government on okay they're both utterly islamic fundamentalist mm -hmm. uh, reactionaries and well how about this Cal 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 calcutta calcutta well well Kulkata? okay 
You say the, the city previously known as Calcutta. There you go. Which is now said Kolkata. Kolkata. And this is part of why. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it rules that Kolkata does not have a birthday. <laughs> that the uh, British East Indian employee Job Chanrock is not the city's founder, as previously claimed in 1690. Hmm. Yeah. Did somebody find uh, a city that already existed? No, it was not a city. It was not a city. It was nothing of any importance whatsoever. It was, it's not like this grand historical city. It was just a place. The British built a fort there because it was an excellent location. And then as they consolidated their rule over the Indian subcontinent, it kept growing and growing and growing until it became one of the most important cities in India. But it's not a place with like a long, rich history, just did people live there? Yeah. Were there many of them? No, not yeah. not really. But it was settled, you know, and the idea was that it's like, can we start, can we decolonize some of this shit and start being, stop being like, oh, Britain came and brought civilization to India. I was like, fuck you. They had a lot of civilization and they'd had it for a long fucking time. Could we not? So yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm again it. I wasn't paying attention. I was researching the next topic, which I clearly put in here. Because mm-hmm. it's not a massive import to most anybody, not even Disney. But I think it's hilarious that the Jim Henson family <clears throat> purchases back the Muppets from e- EMTV, a German merchandising holding con- company. You know, one of those companies everybody can really get behind. And you remember what they did with the Muppets. Did they make a movie? No. TV show? No. They had them advertise for Denny's. That's what... <laughs> <laughs> but then they're going bankrupt and... EMT originally purchased the Muppets for $700 million. The Henson family buys it back for $80 million. Ooh. All right, so this this confuses me because yeah. I thought Disney owns the Muppets, but the Henson Company owns the Muppets? The, this paves the way for Disney to buy them next year. But uh, uh, okay, Disney did not uh, – Jim Henson's death, they, they were supposed to buy the Muppets, but it was – I love talking about it. It was kind of a rough thing because what Disney really wanted was Sesame Street, and they were very explicitly like, no. Like, he was like, apparently Jim Henson would get mad and walk out of the room. You don't get that. And they eventually sold those characters to the Children Television Workshop to, like, save them from being purchased by a corporate entity. Uh, so mm-hmm. Sesame Street characters are in good hands, even though the show is, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if our tax dollars are going to continue making Sesame Street. They need partners like HBO Max. The Henson family buys it back and then subsequently sells to Disney in about a year, which I only mention because I never get tired of saying Disney should just should do the exact same thing and sell them up its back to the Henson family. I <laughs> never Disney does not give up IP. They I keep no. it in their vault. They're not JR. <laughs> uh, I probably watched Four hours of Marvel content last week. Disney has made four hours of Muppet content in 10 years. <laughs> they should just give them back. And I'm very much looking forward to the Muppet, the, the May, Electric Mayhem show coming to Disney+. Plus. But Ooh, uh, I did not hear this. Yes, it's a show focused just on the band. <laughs> I cannot wait. Uh, okay. With a bunch of rad guest stars. But Disney is not doing anything with them. And the, the biggest analogy, I, I went to Disney World uh, a month or two ago. Have you been to Disney World? Anybody been to Disney World in the last five years since, since no. the yeah. Star Wars land? Yep. yep. Remember, you know the layout? There's the original Star Tours, and then mm-hmm. there's Batu, and in between there is a ride where there's no lines called Muppet <laughs> Muppets yeah. 3D. And it's standing in the way of two Star Wars things, and you can just... I. 
I don't want to live to the day that I see it bulldozed, but at least I'd know the Muppets were in better hands. Because I went to the park, and I'm like, I want to buy a Kermit thing. Nothing. There was not one Kermit thing in a Disney park, period. I'm like, oh, they do a live show in Town Square. They haven't done that since the pandemic. Great. Uh, so no merch, one ride, never a line, haven't updated it in any way. I don't think this, why do they even want the Muppets? They're just a rich thing. Rich people sit on this. I own this thing. Like why? There's less yep. merchandise than ever. Uh, I don't get it. But it, I think the Muppets would be in great hands back with the Henson family because they're still making puppety content. But yeah, this paves the way for Disney to purchase them. Uh, finally, a 15 year endeavor is uh, about to be pulled off with Disney acquiring the Muppets. It's what Jim Henson wanted. Fell apart after his death. Anyway, also this week, 20 years ago, People's Most uh, Beautiful People issue is out with number one, Halle Berry, the first woman of color. I was going to say, that yeah. surprises me it took that long. Yeah, me too. Well, but I remember. It's not as long as you think, because World's Sexiest or Sexiest Man Alive goes back to 85. And mm -hmm. then Denzel Most Beautiful took People, it. who is a, which is always a woman, only goes back to 1990. But. Okay. That's 13 years. 13 years. Not as long as get... the Oscars to award Halle Berry yeah. or something. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, congratulations, Halle Berry. Uh, still got yeah. it. Just watch X-Men. Look gorgeous. She, she's a beautiful woman, and especially in 2003. Yep. Can't argue. Movies. Oh, my God. There is <laughs> a movie in here that everybody wants to get out of the way of. Uh, I can't, I can't <laughs> express that enough in this segment. Uh, the Shape of Things is a movie that with Gretchen Mole, Rachel Wise, and uh, Ant-Man, Paul Rudd, is out this yeah. week. I've never heard of it. <laughs> well, have you heard of Neil LeBute? Yes. Did you know he has feelings about women? I'm guessing something fair and reasoned, no doubt. Uh <laughs> So, Neil, Neil LeBute is a, I mean, he's, he's a playwright, and this is an adaptation of one of his plays, wherein Paul Rudd plays you know, a big old nerd who hooks up with Rachel Weiss, who starts improving his life and starts being like, you should work out more. You should eat this. You should do that. And she is transforming him to the point of like, you should get plastic surgery. You should get your nose fixed. You should do this. <laughs> and spoiler alert, it turns out this was her graduate thesis project was <laughs> to transform a man into something that he's not something better I mean, she basically argues like, yeah, I lied to you this whole fucking time, but aren't you better off for it now? So she's all that, me, the next generation. Me, a fiendish evil woman who's <laughs> not telling you I'm doing this for my own evil designs because I'm a woman. And I bet you're saying, why would anyone transform Paul Rudd? He was adorable. <laughs> what is your problem, woman? And that's kind of, that might even be the point. That might be the point. Yeah. But, and from the male perspective, I'm sure it's like, now that you know all this, how do you feel, Paul Rudd? I had sex. It was cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but he's also like betrayed, and uh, like, how, was that relationship real? I mean, she toyed with his emotions and did all these things to him for reasons. You know, she lied. Everything was a fucking lie. Is he better off for it now? In the most superficial of ways, yes. I mean, it's and he's with like, Rachel Wise. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's what Neil Lebute does best, which is. Um, Really, really, really fucked up gender dynamics, colon, the movie. See also in the company of men. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting that, like, you can debate about this, but also you can look at it and be like, she's Satan. They're saying that women are Satan mm. because Neil LaBute has some issues. Not all women, just educated women. Oh, <laughs> no. 
educated, powerful, assertive women assertive. who run cults on islands with bees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the shape of things, it's it's interesting. It's something you can debate a bunch later. But uh, as a Killjoy feminist, I have very, very strong opinions about it. I would it. only debate it if I was trying to get out of watching it. That works. <laughs> and as a Killjoy feminist, I have very strong opinions about the next movie. Woo! Uh, but uh, really, uh, they're about its inspiration. This next movie should just be called Here You Go, Diana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that, that as I was watching this for the first time. Never heard of it. Didn't even look up a preview. Just started the play button. And I was like, when did Diana Goodman get a time machine, <laughs> studio travel <laughs> back to 2003 with $100 million and make this movie Become for a studio executive. Because, like, we joke a lot about counter-programming, but that's a, you know, a real thing. Like, if it looks like a, a, a certain film is going to eat up a huge piece of your audience, you counter with what you have. Look, we have a movie of, of a different demographic. They can go see this this week. It's not that expensive. This looks like it was built to be counter-programming, like the polar mm -hmm. opposite of what is out this week. And a, a throwback, I just I just don't imagine studio executives giving a shit about a throwback. Like, I don't know how this happened. Okay, could you see someone making a 1980s romantic comedy today? Because the math yeah. works out. yeah. No, not not real. Is this well? Is this but more? But it 60s? would have to be really cheap. I mean, it, it, if it, you wanted to remake a uh, like not a, uh, remake, oh, no. do the same no, thing. I mean, of this. It, an homage. But like make a kind of uh, homage. I don't know what kind of eighties comedy are we talking here. Just one of the um, guys. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm th I'm thinking like eighties teen sex comedy, like a yeah. Better Off Dead or Porky's. Risky Business or something. Porky's. <laughs> it would be tough. It, it would it would be really tough, and you would have to do it really cheap. And this is. $35 million? That's uh, pretty respectable. For a summer movie, it's relatively cheap, and it's, you know, got star power at the time. Tony Randall, Sarah Paulson, David Hyde Pierce, Renee Zellweger, and Ewan McGregor in Down With Love. The most romantic comedy of the summer. Down With Love. Is the, is the one movie the New York Times raves is thoroughly charming. Say cheers, everyone. I'm going to turn this crazy upside down with love world right side up again. If it's smart. I've met my match. If it's sensational. If it's pure enchantment. Well, you've whetted my appetite. Wait. Then it must be Down With Love. Renee Zellweger, Ewan McGregor, Down With Love. Down With Love. Uh, what would you... Uh, throwback to Pillow? It's a Doris Day movie. Doris it Day movie? It is a full-on Doris Day movie. It's Pillow Talk. There's Lover Come Back in there. Maybe a little bit of Touch of Make. Mostly Pillow Talk and Lover Come Back. It is a straight-up Doris Day movie in the year of our year, Lord, 2003. Yeah, and, then and it is not hiding that. It is really underlining that. It looks like a Doris Day movie. It's made with, you know, the 60s sort of their split screens and pastiches and the costuming and the music. Yeah. Now, the only explanation I have is this is directed by Peyton Reed, mm -hmm. who had just had a big hit with Bring It On. And I feel like he was cashing in some of that, that goodwill. Mm -hmm. Using his blank like, check. He's using his blank check, thinking, like, let's do a big swing to this, like, very old-style romantic comedy but it we can modernize some of the gender politics but not a lot it's you know these are light and charming and fun and people love them as romantic and i'm sure he did not want to be going up against uh, an absolute juggernaut i'm sure they, they dumped this it doesn't have a chance right here even as counter programming diana made a joke off <sighs> mic that like this seems like something she would have to personally kickstart 
and yes. instead <laughs> you somehow like got it in, in 20 years by ago. By Fox, this feels like, yeah, like I would throw him 100 bucks as a Kickstarter of like, we're going to modernize the Doris Day movie. Well, Peyton Reed just did it a few years ago with The Love Bug, starring Bruce Campbell, the remake. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> Love that. Bug remake. Right. But it, it's such an odd beast because it's yes. not a period film, mm-hmm. but it's mm. a period film. It's a it's a film made in 1960 with 2003 technology and transported to the future, right? <laughs> it, yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it could have been made in 1950. Because like, and we'd go like, oh, okay. You know, I was, it's not like we haven't seen this period depicted. This is the Mad Men years, but it yeah. does come, that comes with a modern depressing touch a giant dollop of reality where this doesn't have that. It is just trying Ooh, to give you the vibes. This is, this is the fun, happy yeah. 1962. Yeah. There is, <laughs> there's nothing that's not charming in this film. Mm-hmm. And that's why even, even the math, like, so there were 80 year olds at a movie studio would want to, <laughs> yeah, I love those types of movies. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So yeah, let's see. You were 20 years old in 1963. Yeah. Okay, and you yeah, love these types 60s. of movie. Now you're in your 60s, and I Hollywood suppose. does not make movies for people in their 60s. Yeah. It doesn't. Nope. I, I, I mean, obviously, especially with these stars, we can see who they're aiming at, you know, more of a Bridget Jones's Diary audience, I feel mm-hmm. like, which is odd because <laughs> so much of this looks like such a throwback that, like, part of Bridget Jones's Diary, like, the appeal is that she's, like, extremely modern and self-effacing and dealing with modern shit and this is about like cocktails in the office and swinging bachelor pads and it's so strange that this got made and also they nail it the reviews are pretty great they absolutely nail the look and feel and yeah the kind of fucked up uh, gender politics and i mean the whole idea is that renee zellweger like wrote a book that's about you know, it's basically sex with a single girl. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't get tied down waiting for a guy. You just f- fuck who you want and act like a man, kind of. And Hewan <laughs> McGregor is, you know, like a saucy cat about town who <laughs> ends up lying to her and saying that he's an astronaut to try to prove that she doesn't really believe this. She just wants love like every other dame. Wackety schmackety, wackety schmackety. It's so fucking weird that this got made. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm just stuck on is, yeah. And then... I mean, the piece de resistance for me is David Hyde Pierce and what would be the Tony Randall part, which is the best fucking casting ever. Yes. Because so many of these movies, Rock Hudson has like a friend like Tony Randall, who's a sissy. Mm-hmm. And we would see them coded as gay now. And so that's nice that we have David Hyde Pierce having a romance with Sarah Paulson. Who's, you know, the coward, sissy, girly guy who's scared of women and would probably rather clip recipes. Wink, wink. <laughs> and yeah, David Hyde Pierce is perfect for that. That's basically what Niles was like the entire time on, on Frasier. So this is so much fun. Yeah. And e- I- even if you don't get every reference, it's just like, yeah, what if Mad Men, but only the fun parts? Yeah, <laughs> only the yeah. nice parts. That's fair. And uh, it, I think part of this effort of counter-programming cast a massive shadow that most people forgot this fucking movie existed. Yeah, uh, it, and it, it bombed. It didn't even make its money back. Yeah, it. it yeah, and it, I think it deserves a little because you know it opened the Tribeca Film Festival. Like critics were all about it, and 
It gets dumped the same week as, let's see, Hugo Weaving, Carrie mm. Ann Moss. I think you mean Hugo Weaving, Hugo Weaving, Hugo, Hugo Weaving, Weaving. <laughs> Hugo Weaving, Cowboy Hugo Curtis, Weaving. and John Wick, Keanu Reeves. Uh, it's number one at the box office, The Matrix. Who could have guessed? The Matrix Reloaded is after four years. Here we go. This is a war, and we are soldiers. There is only one way to save our city. Neo. What if the prophecy is true? What if tomorrow the war could be over? Isn't that worth fighting for? Isn't that worth dying for? The Matrix Reloaded. I, I still stand by calling The Matrix a few years ago when we watched it, um... It was kind of my generation's Star Wars. It was a movie that created an absolute real obsession around it. And this movie will perform a little worse than uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, to, uh, what you call it, uh, why am I? The Return of the King uh, later this year. But that movie came out and they're like, yeah, there'll be another movie next year and next year. And read the books if you want. But, you know, this is going to be a The Matrix was dead silence for four years on a Star Wars mm-hmm. level. And it was also a movie people could pretend to be smart and obsess over in in weird ways and learn about its influences either in philosophy video games or anime which the wachowskis were pretty clear about being heavily inspired by it was a really fucking fun time and i probably watched the matrix once a month if not more up until this movie came out and it's like kind of when the the fandom just died and went away the hype was so overwhelming mm -hmm. because also we were hearing they're shooting two movies they're shooting them together back to back they're they're gonna close out the trilogy by the end of the year oh my god after all this long wait what's gonna happen all these new multimedia things one of which we'll talk about in the next segment and they're gonna be a anime anthology series that's going to show you even more and it was priming the pumps i i don't know of a one-shot movie that has had as much hype for it as this sequel did yeah. in the 2000s okay i, I can i remember that vividly because one of the first reviews this is so stupid and nerdy but it's like it's what it was ign insider i think it might be still around but that's where you pay ign money and get articles you can't get for free and they were really pushing it. And so one of the, they had like an early exclusive review and it was on insider and we could only see excerpts. People were copy and pasting into forms about it. And people were freaking out because the review wasn't great. Uh, I remember my friend, he literally like aimed me. What are we going to do if this isn't awesome? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like just truly pathetic shit over like the stakes we had put on this movie. And uh, I'm glad. Could they, could it ever live up to it? Probably that, that's not. That's my big question. Because uh, it has been interesting to rewatch these movies because I am not a fan of them. But mm-hmm. each one, like, I, I watched the first Matrix and I was kind of like, okay, that had cool stuff in it. But I think this, it's great. this is the thing everyone's going crazy about. And then when Matrix, the next Reloaded comes out, I'm like, I'm not, I, I didn't like the first one. I'm not going to bother. You can't trick me. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad JR mentioned it because I decided to, like, really, like, clear out, get a couple meals thought out. And I'm not only going to watch this movie with a clear head. I watched the Animatrix again um, mm-hmm. to really because oh. if we didn't say we that, talk about that, we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about it. it when it comes out. But is it not ahead. out? No. no, you see, that was my memory too. I remember well, that the Animatrix came out in the lead up to Matrix Reloaded, but no, it comes out next month. But if you watch the first four 
parts. Uh, the, first, the second mm-hmm. Renaissance one and two, those were released online. Uh, right. I'm not sure if we mentioned that, uh, but one of the reasons I think Dreamcatcher was number one at the box office is because it had the Squaresoft animated Flight of Osiris, a, a CG mm-hmm. animation short, the only other thing the studio that made the Final Fantasy movie would ever make. Uh, people were really excited about that. And you could see that in only in theaters before it came out on the Animatrix. And Kid Story, uh, the side story of one of the people in this movie, I forget where it was released, but it, it was released in another spot where you could go catch it. So half this movie you could see for free. Well, for free. Uh, just yeah. included in something else. So I made, I made it a point to do that, to get caught up in the same hype I was in, because we were obsessed. I watched this fucking Reloaded trailer a thousand million billion times and i i i gotta say i watched it i i i probably watched this movie four times in 20 years okay had a much better time i i i not only had a much better time with it this time now that like all those stakes were gone i kind of know what this is about like just Mm -hmm. settle down and the movie's not going to say all this crap about philosophy and reference things you want things you little pieces of like sugar highs we gave ourselves online. Like what if the movie does this and that? I know what the movie's going to do now. And it's mainly talking about determinism and stuff yeah. in a way I can't well, tell if I'm too dumb to understand or the movie's yeah. not as smart as it thinks it is. Well, All right. Let's get into so let me, this. well, let, let me finish what I was saying. Is oh, my that, apologies. And that I didn't, like the first Matrix, I did not want to see the other one. I got dragged to it. I brought a notebook and I was just scribbling in it the whole time, <laughs> with like all my complaints. And going back twenty years later, first watching the Matrix, the, the first Matrix from '99, just totally clear. Twenty years later, how do I feel? And it's like I liked it better the second time. Yep. And this one also removed from all hype, and I can and also with twenty years of hindsight, with knowing more about the Wachowskis, it improved the movie. And and this one, I liked it better this time. Me too. That's what that's what but that's it definitely has a lot of problems, and totally. I feel bad for them because that hype was there was no way to pay off that hype. Right, absolutely no yeah. way. See, I have the complete opposite experience of you guys because to mm-hmm. me, The Matrix Reloaded, when I watched it back in two thousand three, was the Empire Strikes yep. Back of the Matrix trilogy. Wow. I loved Matrix really? One, yes, mm-hmm. and I thought Matrix Two was better than One. I thought wow. the philosophy was more interesting. I thought the fights were better. I thought the plot was moving further along. I love the ending. We're going to do a digression on the ending of Matrix Reloaded real quick. But then I reexamined it for this show. Uh-oh. Okay. Oh. And, okay, kids, if you're listening, Daddy is playing a character now. Now, <laughs> despite living in Colorado, I am not actually a pot guy. However, I had a doobie, and I don't really do the doob very much. Me neither. But a after, jazz cigarette. Yes. Hippie lettuce? <laughs> after that, I decided, and I asked you guys, what movie should I watch in one oh, yeah. of my rare doobied state? <laughs> and... The Matrix Reloaded was one of them. We'll get to the other one, which I'm bitter at you guys for having me watch. Why? But The Matrix Reloaded did not hold up while I was high. Holy crud. Mm. How bad do you have to be to be a film I was very nostalgic for? And then I'm just like watching it while high going, this is lame. Your philosophy is stupid. This fight scene isn't interesting. And the fight scenes are not interesting me because no. Neo 
is Superman and can't be hurt. And the only thing interesting about Superman in a fight is if he's trying to save someone. And in a lot of these scenes, he's not trying to save anyone but himself, and he can't be hurt. So how is that an interesting fight? He can't be hurt. He can fly away at any time and does, to conclude. Yes. The famous Burly Brawl. I can't believe we know the code name of the Burly Brawl, the fight with all the Smiths. That mm. sequence alone was a $40 million sequence of motion capture Fuck and CGI. Me. And I think that does not hold up. It doesn't hold up at all. I don't know why, because I'm looking at like, what? Why is Keanu Reeves so skinny in this? He doesn't look anything like it's himself. 2003 <laughs> CGI trying to be people. Okay. And they have them all. CGI could they have them all wear things. sunglasses for a reason. Yeah. So they don't have to animate any of those eyes. There, it, it, with the effects, there are parts that were, I thought, held up really well. And then there would just be one part that did not. And it's like, that is so much of what this movie is sold on, is this is going to be the greatest effects you've ever seen in your fucking life. And I think... So mind-blowing. I think 2003, that- I was blown away. To be fair, 2003, yeah. I went in there going like, holy crud, that was an amazing sequence. But that... We're a nostalgia show. It doesn't hold up in 2023. I don't think I, I am going to show Matrix one to my son. Mm-hmm. I think I'll probably skip two mm. and three. I you know, I, I think one and done is fine. I did the same thing yeah. with my nephew, but with Billy Jack. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, I would generally ignore the sequels, although, yeah, now, again, like. Oh. They're going deeper into mythology. Fine. I expected that. Are they going to answer some questions? Maybe, but mostly they're just going to raise a whole bunch more. But I I was trying to, I was paying attention. It's a third of the way through the movie and the movie is two hours, 18 minutes, a third of the way before we hit something resembling a plot. It, it could definitely have been edited into one movie and then maybe gotten yes. a totally re- the revolutions and reloaded. I mean, in, into one movie, because like, Again, watching the Animatrix, it, it primes you to want to know more about this universe and that there's so much under the surface and nothing brought up in the Animatrix is addressed in uh, the Matrix at all. It's just a compl- it's a, it's a, almost an admirably small story in something you think should have worldwide repercussions. But what is the world of the Matrix, man? But I, I got to say, as someone like I can't, I'm watching this just to relive it with no expectations. I think part of the problem <laughs> why Matrix was so popular is it it did sort of pioneer some effects and one of those effects let's not forget is uh in a yes in a post when did crouching tiger come out diana is that 2002 2000 so 2000 i think it introduced americans to wire foo mm-hmm. right 100 and yeah they do a lot of that again and it doesn't have the same impact for people who've been watching the matrix and some of it seems kind of lazier and they kind of know we can't do bullet time we can't do that bullet time thing we did in the first movie, but they find no equivalent to that. And I think the Burly Brawl scene was supposed to be that. The wowing well, spe- special effects sequence you've never seen before, you never thought was possible, and the movie does lack that. Because everything in else... In Matrix 4, they bring that up in a meta way. They're like, we need bullet time. Yeah. What's the modern equivalent of bullet time? And that's that's very hard. You're asking, what is something people have never seen before that they'll really like? And duh, by the way, this is this is where the name laser time came from. We were trying to make bullet time better. That was a joke we were riffing on 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 mic or off like because every game was adding Matrix bullet time into itself. And we were like, well, the only thing better than bullet time is laser time. Uh, That's it wasn't supposed to be like some 80s nostalgic name. It was a joke we made about like the impact of the Matrix for the most part, but on games. So, yeah. So I did find this so interesting to 
not have to deal with the hype. It's been 20 goddamn years. Yes. We've seen where all these people go and you watch it and I feel like it's better than its reputation and also yes. worse. It it does it does meander it meanders in a way a lot of streaming series do. Everything feels very bloated. Like mm-hmm. every scene is longer than it needs to be. Every fight just goes on and on, you know, and some of it's really good and then there's a point where it's like there's diminishing returns. Like you're not doing anything new. It just keeps going. And there's too much stopping and starting, okay? You know, it's like plot, 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 fight, 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 exposition, and come to a dead stop. Now, I understand you're trying to tackle philosophy, and I love that about The Matrix. I did. I was all in for the philosophy, but you didn't handle it very well. I mean, is really, film is a visual medium. Did they have to do so much exposition to explain this? Could, <laughs> my could, fa- could they have represented <laughs> My favorite bit visually? of that is, is, is the Oracle being like, yeah, ghosts, werewolves, they're just glitches in the Matrix. And like, you're really just going to put that out there and like <laughs> not show yeah, me a vampire or a ghost? And I guess they do show no. you a ghost. Too. Yeah, there's oh, a ghost, guys. Uh, I, I like the, the thing people, that everyone hmm. – oh, sorry. Do people not lie in the Matrix? I guess, you know, when, when my, my friend said he saw a UFO, I guess that was just a glitz in the matrix. Or, or my friend being a drunk asshole. Or a rogue program. <laughs> and I think that's that, I think that I found a little more interesting this time. Like all of these rogue programs that m- may not love the matrix either or found a way to manipulate it to stay alive. And, and I, I would have loved to have seen more shit. than that. It is. No, no, no. I, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of great stuff in that because. Today, we are programming our computers to program themselves. Mm-hmm. AI is in many ways a black box. We don't really know what's going on with it. So it makes sense that it could make things that it doesn't know it made. And they go on to make things that they don't know they make. So I like that. I can, I can grasp that. And I think that could have been covered better and more interesting than and, this film does. And, and, okay, so without the hype, I'm just watching like pacing issues aside, like eh, this is composition wise, there's a lot of great stuff in this movie and and costume wise there's a shitload of great stuff in this movie and (laughs) the effect sequence i hear people talk about less but should talk about more they built like a three mile stretch of highway and destroyed 300 chrysler cars all chryslers by the way uh and, and those sequences are great and when the cg comes in and those road chase sequences oh boy does it stand out like a sore thumb they were yeah. not ready to mm. portray morpheus yeah. walking around on top of a semi-truck i think mm. if you up the cgi in that scene mm-hmm. it might be the greatest car yeah. chase of all time i had it written down this might be one of the greatest car chase sequences of all time just in terms of volume it is it is blues brothers-esque and they're not just shells <laughs> of cars the cars are do all these different things yeah. it's amazingly it looks- choreographed and most of it, it looks far, far superior to anything done today because it's mostly real. Yeah, it's mostly real. And I always like pointing this out. If you're ever in San Francisco and want to see where the Mythbusters film everything involving cars, it is that Matrix stretch of highway. It's overgrown yep. and they took the walls down, but that's what that yeah. was. Exactly. It's over in the Alameda uh, Naval Station. It's the runway is that they just sort of turned into a freeway. Yep. Yeah, With- which is brilliant. Yeah. It's... Uh... I don't know, guys. I just... By the time I got to the end of the film... Actually, actually, I know where I wanted to say. Go. What you were saying about showing, not telling, that film is a visual medium. I feel like the thing that people made fun of the most out of this is the scene with the architect. Oh, the vagina? So I ran a stopwatch. (laughs) How many times does that motherfucker say, ergo? Ergo. It's only two. But that scene's like 
seven minutes long, including cutting away to Trinity fighting some guys. It's actually not that long. Oh, okay. But it feels like it goes on forever because it's I, a dude lecturing us. And I meant to, yeah. yes, telling you the story in a room. That's very yeah. strange. That's boring. Yeah, that is He's horrible using really filmmaking. Unnecessary, it's really unnecessary highfalutin language, too. So you feel confused and you're trying to follow along. And that's what and I did. Obfuscating how it's actually not that fancy. No, no, he's like uh, not you, that complicated. Hey, may, hey, Neo, you think you're the first person to try this? This has happened six times. Yeah, um, yeah. We, and, we made a matrix before could... where everything worked for everyone. Mm-hmm. They got bored, so we we made another one that's like more like modern life that you're used to. And yeah, yeah, you're still here's in the, the version. Class. Here's that version of the speech that I think is superior. Uh-oh. Oh, I know, I know where you're going. Hello, I've been waiting for you three. Who are you? Yeah, who are you? I am the architect. But please, call me Larry. Hey, Larry. <laughs> Larry. <laughs> I created The Matrix and several popular video games. Is there an echo in here? The MTV Movie Awards are a systemic anomaly inherent to the programming of The Matrix. Although the transport process has altered your consciousness, you irrevocably remain human. Ergo, concordantly, vis-a-vis. <laughs> you know what? I have no idea what the hell I'm saying. I just thought it would make me sound cool. So, so I think that had a huge impact on the... People couldn't voice their displeasure with The Matrix. This sketch, opening the MTV Movie Awards, is coming out while this is still in theaters. People can't revisit that scene, but they could revisit this one. And I, I think this this... I don't think MTV had made a parody that was shitting on the movie it was parodying this soon. And I think that colored a generation's opinions uh, of the movie a little bit. Because I always think of this sketch when I think of... I've only watched the real architect scene four times. I've seen this Will Ferrell sketch like 80 (laughs) times. Uh, And it is... Uh, We walked into, you know, the, the Star Wars prequel problem where people were disappointed with this and a lot of people were just like, no, no, no. The story's not over. We can't judge this movie until we see the next one, which I always call foul on. That is some bullshit. No. But it this yeah, the 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 numbers don't lie. Matrix Reloaded is the third highest grossing film of the year, makes seven hundred million dollars. Matrix Revolutions makes three hundred million dollars yeah. less. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because I, we're not as excited for it, I think. But yeah. also because I think that's the worst film in the trilogy, but we'll examine it soon enough. I can't wait but, to, to go in with the same clear eyes I did this time because I found a lot to enjoy in Reloaded uh, 20 years later. I've never seen it. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. All right. Let's talk I was about. Done. I was fucking done. You need to do right. that. No, I was out. I was out. Then before you see it, let's talk about the ending of this film. Yes. Because it ends with Neo in what is allegedly the real world using magical powers. Yes. Diana, what do you think that ending means since you've never seen three? He's still in the matrix. Or he actually is the one. I I, I think that it's, it's, it it could be a matrix. It could be another matrix, but I I took it to mean, and yeah, I haven't seen the follow-up, so I don't know that the whole experience of getting unplugged from being a battery and going to live in Zion and all that, that's just another fake reality that is used to make them feel like they're doing something to stop the matrix, but they're not, they're still in it. 
I have immense thoughts on that subject, but because you haven't said three, I'm going to hold off until then. Just but again, keep, I, okay. keep that. This Don't time around, it. I thought that was like, that's a, not a bad ending. Being told that like, this is a cycle and it's yeah. kind yeah. of within, within human nature to destroy this ecosystem we make for them. So we make a new one and then someone like you pops yeah. up again and we make a new one. And then someone like you pops up again and we make a new one. And using powers outside the matrix, I am very fuzzy on revolutions other than that passion of the christ totally ripped it off and (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i uh i i was on the message boards typing exactly what i thought the Mm. ending to this film meant and i've got a big essay maybe i can dig up that i wrote about uh one so what were some of the other theories i'm assuming someone else had mine it's because there were so many theories so what what is the, the theory JR's theory? Let's anyway. save it. Let's okay. save oh. it until three. I mean, oh, you haven't okay. seen three, so we'll save it. But but he, but here's the thing. like, uh, But I don't care. <laughs> All right. Okay. Theories, I don't care if I'm spoiled. Uh, theories about the ending. One, he's in the Matrix. Two, he has uh, real powers in the real world. Three, it's not even the Matrix. It's something else. It's a dream. Four, he's waking up. All of this is an imagination in the insane asylum. Uh, uh, five, uh, it's so bad. Plato's allegory of the cave. It's an infinite mm. number of recursions of various levels where you will never awaken, which mm. I actually would have preferred that. I would have preferred if we would have had it be ambiguity. You will never know if you were out of the matrix because that is the lived condition of humanity. We do not get to experience reality objectively. We can come up with great theories and then we can base them off of Congo, ergo some, but everything (laughs) after that is a guess, probably. Yeah, maybe. And uh, maybe. And I would have loved a film that really threw its hands up and saying, you will never know. Because that's how human mm. life. Is. But I gotta, I yeah. gotta ask. I'm sorry. I know you meant to say cognito ergo sum, but Congo ergo sum is. Way better. <laughs> I like to use words that make me sound smarter. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. I, I gotta ask, and this is, did you? I know your husband saw it, Diana. Matrix Revolution, mm-hmm. Matrix Four. I did watch Matrix Four. It actually makes. Oh, if you, I, if, I thought it was pretty good. It's one of the most confusing blockbusters I've ever witnessed, <laughs> but yep. it it makes a lot more sense, and I can't stop thinking about it after rewatching Reloaded because they. I didn't care for four. I did not like. Four. I'm not saying I. I, lo- I think it. it's it's an interesting approach to sequelizing the Matrix. It's not what I expected, and yeah. and, and and it. This this movie feeds on that. I don't know. It's, this movie is more important to part four, which I watched three times in a year just because like, again, am I dumb or this movie? Is this movie dumb? I can't tell, but it's fascinating. Uh, <laughs> they probably shouldn't have made it, but they made it anyway. And does this make sense? And like, there is a coherence here that's mildly interesting. <laughs> they were right. They will keep doing this over and over again <laughs> until they half the Wachowskis make a sequel to it in 2022. Uh, yeah. anyway, I don't know how, I don't know how much I can add to this. There's so much clunky shit in Reloaded, but it is like a wholly original film thing. It's, it's like, it is still impressive if you think of it like that. It it was, and I think maybe still is the highest grossing rated R movie of all time. I think Deadpool beat it actually. Um, yeah. but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like, it, but it's an original film property. I always give things extra points for that. Like this didn't come from anywhere else. It came from screenwriters. And that's inherently more interesting than telling me a story I can I know 
80% of what to expect, Marvel, uh, every time I walk into it. Uh, And I, yeah, I found myself a little wowed again with watching it. So I, I now feel a little more compassion for people who love it just like it's the regular Matrix, but I'm still just like, yeah, this didn't really pan out. Again, I think that's that's the story we're telling here from 20 years ago. This didn't pan out to be this godsend thing that was going to reshape movie making for ourselves. But I still I, like I went from Animatrix to this and like I have any more Wachowski stuff in 4K V for Vendetta. Let's do it. Watch V for Vendetta right after this just because I was feeling it all. Uh, had a great time that night by myself, me and my cat. Anyway, we'll move on because there's still Jesus Christ a lot left to talk about. Uh, on television 20 years ago, May 12th to the 18th, Surf Girls debuts on MTV. I have no idea what this is about. I know how this was pitched. It was one executive going to the other and saying, what if we had a TV show where all the girls had to wear bikinis all the time? Hey. <laughs> but they're, they're... It's, it's a reality show about girls, surfers? <gasps> Monocle fall. Wow. And then um, you just see Pornhub in the distance is a little building. No! <laughs> no boobies on TV. Uh, how about this? Dawson Creek's Dawson's Creek ends uh, oh. after five Whoa, years. This was huge. This was wow. a... <laughs> we all had to wait for our lives to be over. <laughs> and then they watched. <laughs> all right yeah this show was huge i never watched yeah it. me neither <laughs> i didn't have wb no. or whatever the fuck it was on but i know people absolutely loved it and the cast is fantastic yeah. so i mean they, they got something going on right the, but it's the, it, it's a teen soap right it's a teen soap from the but screen they had guy. the teens talk a little unrealistically well they were you know doing soliloquies on life's mysteries and mm-hmm. you know being very philosophical more than teens actually are. Um, But, you know, uh, I did find out that this show is why we have television without pity. Originally that was called Dawson's rap and was all about tearing down Dawson's (laughs) Creek. And then it transformed into television without pity. Oh, I love television without pity. Okay. And it was, yeah, this was the Final thing to ever be aired on the WB. Oh, and they, oh. before they switched the CW? That's 20 years ago? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh, I, I, 20 years ago? I'm like, I'm not watching the Young People show. <laughs> God, I'm old. <laughs> uh, and, and not the end of a show, but definitely the end of an era. The West Wings episode 25 would be the last episode with Aaron Sorkin writing or being the show yeah. owner. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And got problems, but this is a damn good episode. <laughs> Fuck, it's it. it's. A, it's a fucking awesome premise. Okay, we already set it up in our last episode where the vice president has to resign. So they're all in the process of finding a new vice president. And that's when the president's daughter is kidnapped. A Secret Service agent is killed and murdered. They don't know who took her. And the president is just not in his right mind, as you might be if your daughter has been kidnapped. And you're like, well, I have nuclear weapons. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have them while I'm not in my right mind. Ah, so Operation Get he Peggy in- Back. <laughs> he, he invokes Article 25 of the U.S. Constitution, uh, which yep. does allow the president, if not in the right mind, to no longer be acting president. And as a result, the Republican Speaker of the House becomes acting president. And that's a hell of a way to end the West Wing. 
And you know, was that Alan Alda? I guess I'd never got to this. No, point. John Goodman. John Goodman. John Goodman. Okay. John Goodman comes in, who who is a Republican and a strong Republican, and hates the president. And but he's like, yeah. And also, to become acting president, you can't be part of two branches of government at the same time. So he has to resign his House seat to become acting president to deal with this problem, and then he has to go run for election again. Wow. And they're like. Yeah. Are you going to want to do that? We'll campaign with you about how great you are. And he's like, don't campaign with me. My people hate you. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, okay. Sure. And then, yeah, he becomes acting president long enough to to deal with stuff because, yeah, we did you know we actually have an amendment to the Constitution that you can get rid of a president if they're being crazy. Because the last no. couple of years have felt like there's not a lot of safeguards. <laughs> no, yeah. no, they're no, they're not. But, but we, you can do that. To me, the West Wing is Sorkin's baby. It's Sorkin's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a lot of things that he's got troubles with, uh, and uh, definitely yeah, a lot of called, problems. Mm-hmm. It's Coke. called crack cocaine. Yeah, crack cocaine. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the West Wing was his creation, and the seasons without him. To me, they're not the West Wing. I'm sorry. There's some good in them. I watched them all. But by the end, I was just like, this really isn't what I started on. If you ever do a rewatch, I'd stop here. I'd call this mm-hmm. good. I'd say this is this is all you need from watching a 20-year-old show. You don't need those final seasons. This is a good yeah. stopping point. I'm trying, what season is this? Because I, I know I watched the first three or four seasons. I think um, it's season five. Okay. Season four finale. Okay. Ah, so season. yeah, five on or Sorkinless or yeah, yeah. Okay. Also, I feel bad giving such short shrift to Dawson's Creek because I know it is such a like pivotal teen sure. show to everyone. But you know, I was past being a teen at the time. But I did like it came up in filmmaking Twitter in like the last month that Joshua Jackson is out promoting a new show right now. They didn't ask him about it. <laughs> Yeah, he, he found out he was trending on Twitter and was like, oh, God, oh, God, why? And it's because of this fantastic shot where James Vanderbeek whips a basketball at his head and it hits him in the head, bounces off his head onto the camera and then bounces away. And there's all this talk of it can't be CG. It's just a show from like 2003. What the how did they do that? What's it? How, what, is there a cut? What did it? No, that just really happen but the basketball was not a basketball it was a beach ball painted to look like a basketball for safety reasons obviously (laughs) but it just careamed off his head nailed the camera and bounced away and they were like you can't fucking make that happen we we're done (laughs) here that was amazing yeah this should win an award uh, but yeah yeah so dawson creek was huge uh but for me i was also too old for it just wasn't my Mm -hmm. thing but i do love the dawson creek memes about the 90s where it's just that main character crying and he's like i need to make a phone call but someone's on the internet tears coming (laughs) down his face (laughs) i mean uh i'm gonna sound i'll 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 take the risk of being an old here i could never understand why that meme was so popular is it because his face is a little silly, but was Dawson's Creek just more popular than I thought it was? Yes, that it, it was, was just more that popular famous? than you it thought was, it was. Yeah, It was very it was popular. popular. Yeah. yeah, he looks a All little right, silly. Uh, to, to finish up the West Wing, uh, there's a shot in the later seasons uh, where two people are having a personal argument and the woman slaps the man just as the president walks in and then the president like sheepishly closes the door. That would have never happened on Aaron Sorkin's <laughs> West Wing. Mm. That would have been a case of you leave your fucking personal shit alone when you're about to meet the goddamn president, you fucking jabron. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, 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 
it had a different vibe. And once he left, they really went in for the more typical television stuff. And it wasn't as somber. And I, I, I just think the Sorkin years are the best. I mean, yeah. it's, t- it's, you know, showrunners like people who give birth to something or something like that are usually in better hands. The show's in better hands you know, than someone like that. We were talking about showrunners last time, but mm-hmm. now I'm thinking about it. I think Sorkin was the first showrunner who, like, people were aware he left because I feel yeah. like him leaving the West Wing was, was fairly big news. One of the few credits I remember on yeah. the West Wing, whether he wrote the episode or not, there would be a teleplay credit saying that, like, he wrote the dialogue. And you can't do that without for 22 episodes a year without a lot of cocaine. And <laughs> and then uh, briefly, I can talk about the Simpsons Bar of War. This is where this meme comes from because I – That's the only thing notable about it. The only thing notable is this meme. I'm a brick! <laughs> it's the Ralph getting thrown through. Because I know the Simpsons very well, but not this era. And I've seen this meme the hell out of and I just always assumed – I probably know what episode that's from. I do not. The Bard of War is the answer. Uh, Jesus, in its 15th season or something like that. And then you thought we were done talking about The Matrix. Uh, One of the only other movies that would uh, defeat The Matrix at the box office in the year 2003 is Finding Nemo. But it's not out yet. But the game is, thanks to... It's uh, mostly a 2D side-scroller with some 3D chase games. Uh, Surprisingly hard, Um, but it's got a ton of slide puzzles, and they're (laughs) everywhere, and they're mandatory. Uh, We also have Iridian 2 on GBA. Uh, cool shoot 'em up. Uh, this is me showing my olds because I think of shoot 'em ups exclusively as being 2D. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's not been true for a while. And this is a good 3D shoot 'em up. And part of kind of the Matrix expectations crumbling before our eyes was the simultaneous launch of the game. Enter the Matrix on PC, GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. I believe it got greatest hits titles for all, which is very rare for a movie game. Uh, that's <laughs> not Lord of the Rings in this era. But uh, Enter the Matrix, the Wachowskis were, at the time, I think one of some of the only directors advocating for the medium of video games. We like 100%. This. Yeah. And this, yeah. this, I remember following this, and I was thinking this was going to be a huge sea chain for the world of video games mm-hmm. because the Wachowskis were all on this multimedia thing. We're doing a video game that is important. It is important to the movie. You should play the video game so you understand what the movie is going on. And this was a huge seller. This sold out the wazoo, and it is not a good game. Got a 6 oh, out of 10, and almost universally. Like It's got the same ratings as most other movie-based games, but it is depicting I, I think most of the characters play themselves in the game yeah and yeah they get the movie actors to be in this game and you don't get to play neo mm-hmm. uh you play these Niobe. uh uh people i've utterly forgotten because niobe the, the jada pinkett character niobe. okay you play yeah. she's one of the characters right. you play as but because you wonder why she's barely in the movie because the plans were that she was the star of the game and uh mm-hmm. she's the star of the game and it, it's a concurrently told story with the film that I don't remember a single thing about and I would never go play again. (laughs) Because the video game makers made a very bold choice deciding not to give the characters any personal goals and then double down and not give the characters any strategic goals either. Uh, They're not trying to bolster Zion's defenses. They're not trying to take down a critical mainframe. They're just kind of there along for the ride and they keep 
bumping into things from the movie without any really good explanation. Okay. Uh, it, it is so far removed from establishing a narrative to the matrix reloaded. Will you'll actually care about playing the game? Uh, and they tried it's, it's bad but... at everything. It's bad fighting, <laughs> bad shooting, bad driving. You have a hacking game where you have to play MS DOS. MS DOS <laughs> is not a game. It's not a game, folks. Yes, that's <laughs> the, that was the real Matrix we were trying to escape from. Uh, yeah, that MS DOS was slavery, uh, and I'm glad to be free. Uh, but yeah, Into the Matrix kind of hit with an even bigger ho hum than the movie, and I think that was sort of. You know the one, two, three pop cultural punch that this movie took. Despite, and I, I'm just saying from my perspective now, yeah, it's not perfect, but it also isn't like egregiously bad. Uh, I don't think uh, upon my viewing, but the game is. <laughs> the game does will hold up far worse. I don't know what led no one them to believe will that play the this person, game in 2023. The, the people who without... made Earthworm Jim should make uh, this 3D <laughs> blockbuster <laughs> Matrix game. Maybe MDK, but yeah, Enter the Matrix is kind of the same, a little bit of a wetter fart than the movie was, uh, critically and receptionally. Sold well, but like didn't end up paving the way for changes in any way. But I think they they discovered, because the Matrix... The Matrix is filming two movies concurrently. That requires two to three years worth of lead time. And I'm sure they thought, surely we can pack in an actual development cycle for the game because we'll have all the pieces in a row because we'll have a longer development time for these two movies. But I think they found it wasn't long enough because games take longer than two years to make a lot of the time. And uh, So I was a huge Matrix fan when this came out, and I played the game a lot. Uh, just because it was my only Matrix media I had access to. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to get through this. And there was one stage where I died, and it sets you back, and I died, and it set me back, and this kept going on and on and on. And even though I'm a free-time millionaire at the time, I gave up. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. But at the back of my mind, I was like, you know, emulation's a thing for games that are 10 years old. So I'm going to wait until I can emulate this game and then come back to this one spot and just resume it until save, uh, save scum it until yeah. I beat it. And once that was technologically possible, I had no desire to no. do that at all. Yeah. Like not even a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but it's a forgotten piece of matrix lore. I'm just glad that the animatrix it's kind of been included in most of the DVD releases. I don't think it got a 4k remaster, even though the movie versions on HBO max or max as well, have to get used to calling it. Um, that is so stupid. It's a little stupid, but they, they are the 4K versions. And they look great. They look great for streaming stuff, man. Uh, I really yeah. can't say that enough. But let's close and out. All, to the, the, all the Enter the Matrix cutscenes are available on uh, YouTube. So if you really just want to experience the lore, mm-hmm. do it that way. Don't play this game. Wow, yeah. there's a lot of them. Yeah. They, they filmed a lot of stuff for this game. Yeah, it's Gosh. like an hour and 16 minutes of cutscenes. Good lord! Mm-hmm. Wow, there was some effort put in here, so I don't want to crap on them too much. It just yeah. who's to say whether it's I will worth say. It? I think my biggest laugh is when they in the Matrix movie is when they cut to credits and and the new metal starts screaming at me. It's like, whoa, this does not. It boy, closed with a well. rage song. It should, cl- but it just wasn't the right one. So um, so dated. Yeah. Um, but you want something even more dated to go out with? I do. So, so Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor are filming this movie Down with Love, and one day Ewan McGregor just says, "We should we should end with a musical number," and they're like, "Why?" So, well, because we were both just in musicals. 
people right. will like it. And he's got a point. They've both just been in musicals. So Chicago and just, Moulin Rouge. Yeah. So I they just it. close with a musical number because why the fuck not? Because you should have a theme song if you're going to be a 60s rom-com. So here's to love from Down With Love. I think we're going to close out with that because I don't like... I'm not playing Marilyn Manson on the show anymore. That's why. <laughs> and features rather prominently in, in Matrix Reloaded. And, uh, yeah, that's Here's to Love by Renee and Ewan. Take us out, but don't move. Thought we were done talking about spaceships? Not by a long shot. I'll be a rock if you'll be my darkest. Sweet heavens above. See, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 12th through 18th, I'm just going to say up at the top, I'm not recommending Doris Day movies just because I love Down With Love. I mean, they're fun, but oh my God, they are so like, this is why feminism exists. Because they always start with Doris Day and she's like kind of like an interesting person with like a job and and she's like a classy kind of, you know, business lady and then some guy comes along and at the end she's like i just want to be a wife and a mother and you're like you had such a cool office what are you talking about but yeah if you like down with love then you should definitely check out uh pillar talk and lever come back pillow talk being really interesting because it's also got rock hudson in it and he's like pretends to be someone he's not and then he implies that that person is gay it's very meta now Anyway, moving on this week, let's start with, well, actually last week I said R.I.P. Harry Belafonte, but I was so busy in Classic Corner I didn't recommend any Harry Belafonte movies. So I think there are three that are worth pointing out. There's a post-apocalyptic one, which is kind of early in the post-apocalyptic genre, The World of Flesh and the Devil. There's a pretty good noir he made called Odds Against Tomorrow. And the big recommend, though, is Carmen Jones, which is a remake of the opera with the opera music but modernized and with a black cast and him and Dorothy Dandridge together oh man they're like the two most aggressively gorgeous people ever they sing amazing they're so sexy it's just a fascinating movie behind the scenes is kind of nuts too but uh it was made by Otto Preminger who's kind of like a weird dictator but Carmen Jones total total recommend and then Actually, this week, hitting an actual anniversary, is Irma LaDuce from 1963. So that's turning 60? This is a very light, very cute comedy. It reteams Billy Wilder with the stars of The Apartment, Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. And it is about a sex worker and the cop who accidentally becomes her pimp. You know, for kids. <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun. It's also got that very swinging early 60s vibe where everyone is just very classy and all the men, no matter how downtrodden they are, they wear suits all the time. And, and it's, you know, it's supposed to be Paris and light and fun. So yeah, Irma LaDuce, total recommend. It's, it's very, very fizzy and fluffy little comedy. Uh, I like it a lot. So, and just, I, I like, I just like Billy Wilder, man. I'll just watch anything is because they're mostly fantastic. This is, 
it's it's a confection. It, it's not a serious movie. It's just a nice, light little rom com. So, got yeah, Irma from '63, and yeah, that's it for this week. Stay classic. Here now they can't tell me nothing. We give it to the people, spread it across the country. Here we go back. This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. So we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. Coming into 2013 with uh, Can't Hold Us by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis featuring Ray Dalton. And it's number one. I haven't heard of most of those people. <laughs> sure, yeah. Ray Dalton? Now, welcome to 2013. Other new music's released between May 12th and the 18th, 10 years ago. There's a lot. There's, There's a, lot. a lot. Everything's coming out for summer. Uh, More Light by Primal Scream, Endless Fantasy by uh, Anamanaguchi, an album I own. Weird. Uh, One of Us is the Killer by Dillinger Escape Plan, Lip Lock by Eve, uh, How I Learned to Stop Giving a Shit and Love Mindless Self-Indulgence by Mindless Self-Indulgence, Love Will by Trace Atkins, Trouble Will Find Me by The National, and Vampire Weekend, Modern Vampires of the City and Daft Punk's Random Access Memories, which are both on Rolling Stone's 500 Best Albums list. Weird. Weird. I didn't think Daft Punk's... That's their last album, right? Um, I think so. That's a good question. 10 years ago. You'll never guess, like, I don't talk much about music on the show because I don't know how to do it articulately. Apologies to music fans. But I've seen four of those acts live that I just mentioned, and I I barely have anything to say about Remember when you saw music live for for the pandy? Anyway. Yeah. Oh, shit, I think you're right. I think it's their most recent album. That or some Tron remixes. 10 years ago. uh, No, not even a live album. Holy shit. 10 years ago in the news, human stem cells are successfully cloned the hell does that mean (laughs) it means that we had stem cells we cloned them and now we have two stem cells can we use them or will the jesus people be upset was going to be far more useful than was the case it's one of those things where like cloning animals it didn't seem to have the giant impact that i thought it was going to have at the time is there a reason why stem cells probably (laughs) probably okay good (laughs) that's what i was going to say that's what, I mean, who can understand? But we were taught that uh, my understanding that stem cells could save the world and now we can clone them for 10 years and one of us is probably still going to get cancer. And <laughs> none, mm. everybody just frowned like, hey. Guess who it's going to be. <laughs> it's probably me. Put your guess in into an envelope and put it away. Why, why, why am I more likely to get cancer now that I think about it? I'm not, I don't smoke anymore. Anymore, maybe. I mean, <laughs> maybe those the damage. Some of that damage stays with you, Chris. I thought that I, th- I thought I had the most optimistic thing I read about quitting smoking is how yes, it does it can have lifelong impacts, but how quickly your body can recover. And by quickly, I mean like in a year. A, a year, you could have normally you know functioning lungs and work out all that tar. But the cancer effects, I don't know about. Anyway, what am I talking about? I don't know shit about fuck, except these movies. One of them, anyway. <laughs> 2013 <laughs> movies. The one I don't know anything about. Will Bobiel, uh, Jay Paulson, Lake Bell, Kate Bosworth, and Katie uh, Asselton in Black Rock. Black Rock. This I found very interesting sounding, and then I'm too much of a sissy probably to watch it. So this is directed by Katie Asselton and written with her husband, who is a guy who's one of those brothers. I just wanted to say Safty brother, and I'm totally wrong. Oh, the Duplass? <laughs> Duplass. Mark Duplass, yeah. yeah. 
thank you, where it's about like three women are reconnecting, you know, they used to be buddies and they go on this like camping trip and then some dudes show up and then things take a turn and somebody's dead and now they're fighting for their lives. Oh, this is the cute lady from the league. Got it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but now she's in, you know, deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I live it every day. Yeah. Uh, and the reviews are like pretty good. The, you know, it's 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 a survival thriller mm -hmm. and survival thrillers can be really good. And then some people were complaining about like, but they did stupid stuff that was going to get them killed. And it's like, do you want to see a thriller where everyone does everything right all the time? Yeah, you got to see some. There's got to be a body count somehow. Actually, yeah, I would like to see a thriller where everything is done right and it still has problems. Mm, that's a good idea. That's, that's better. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty interesting. Uh, I just, uh, I'm kind of a sissy and I didn't have a lot of time and I didn't get around to it and I'm sorry. Um, yeah, same here. Watching way too much Matrix shit. <laughs> Fascinating sounding. Uh, Mammy Gummer, am I saying that right? That can't be a real name. Mammy Gummer. That, that's a Meryl Streep child. She named her Mammy, Mamie, Mamie, and Gummer. Uh, okay, whatever. Vanessa L. Williams, Ben Stiller, Jesse Eisenberg, Michael Yuri, Haley Pfeiffer. Uh, he's way more famous than you. That's the title of the movie. <laughs> it's not a judgment on my part. Yeah, another one's like, well, this concept sounds interesting, but mm -hmm. sounds like the execution might not be there. That Haley Pfeiffer plays Haley Pfeiffer, and she like loses her boyfriend and her agent, and decides the the way to revenge is to become more famous than the people that have wronged her and so she tries to make a movie so she'll be a big star okay and with like and, lots of cameos and it, fills, and it fills her with an internal sense of warmth <laughs> right. and goodness because every movie i've ever seen about the quest for fame shows that it's <laughs> very important and the best thing ever right yeah yeah it also ends with the quest no for fame. downsides <laughs> yeah no. always ends well yeah, the reviews were sort of mixed on this one. I'm saying like they're they're trying to do a Hollywood satire, and sometimes it hits, and a lot of times it's just kind of sloppy. Mm. But yeah, again, you know, hey, if it doesn't hit, try remaking it, but better. Look, Re remake bad movies. Well, that's not what happened here <laughs> in the number one movie at the box office. But the highest grossing thing of this entire franchise this franchise goes back 60 years unadjusted but yes bruce greenwood anton anton yelchin i miss him mm. zoe zeldana out of makeup neither blue nor green i can never not remark upon that because i so rarely see her neither blue nor green uh, i only just found out it's saldana saldana oh i am so mad why didn't anyone tell us I don't know. Too polite to correct us. Peter Weller, fucking Robocop. Ooh, Leonard Nimoy. Alice Eve, and the only movie I've ever seen her in. <laughs> John Cho, <laughs> Carl Urban, Simon Pegg, Benedict Cumberbatch, Zachary Quinto, and Chris Pine. It's number of the box office. It's Star Trek Into Darkness. Into Darkness. That's how they should have spelled it. Emergency session. Suit up, Kirk. By now, you've heard what happened in London. The man who did it is one of our own. This could just be the beginning. Beginning of what? All-out war. He's a fugitive, and I want to take him out. I will have my vengeance. Star Trek Into Darkness. Rated PG-13. Star Trek Into Darkness. From Double J. Abrams. His return uh, to Kirk and Co. Just, almost just like Matrix Reloaded. I <laughs> watched this left my baggage at the door what i thought about this take on star trek this take on Khan, and i really i really like this movie watching it the other yeah. night I, I i have been notoriously pretty shitty towards it and 
Some of that is J.J. Abrams stuff I don't have to apologize for. His absolute lying about it's not con it's not con his name's phil <laughs> all right but chris i i have a secret it's a secret that i haven't revealed yet but i'm going to tell you because you see my real name is not jr rawls in fact i have a different name which you will never guess the name of but i will tell it to you right now because you need to know my name in order for anything to make sense and soon i will tell it to you because it is con. And i love that he does that in the the crew of the enterprise is like I have no idea who that is or what that means. That makes no sense. <laughs> Khan, canonically, is a huge, monumental figure in Star Trek history. He is the leader of the eugenics wars, which is yes. the most important event in Earth history before the unification. Okay, it's it's what it's World War Three. Okay, if 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 I say and my real name is Hitler, people <laughs> will know who I am. Okay. But I, that's, I, I think part of it is thanks to you, we, we started doing 80s in depth. And um, I was kind of, to be honest, I watch Star Wars, Star Trek movies now more than I watch Star Wars. That's kind of a first for me. And I huh. love the original trilogy movies. And we watched Rathacon, went over it with a fine tooth comb less than a year ago. And a, I, again, my criticism of J.J. Abrams is... One, it's sort of a cheat, like, this is the new crew of the Enterprise, except they exist in a universe where they can talk to members of the other Enterprise. I liked it. I'm sorry. No, I, I that, that's the thing. The when they... I thought it was a good way to reboot the franchise without being it a complete non sequitur. They've never heard like, of Khan. Rebooting it just cause. But they talked to I... Nimoy Spock, and he's like, you have Khan on the ship? Holy shit, dude. That is one of the most dangerous men we have ever encountered, and here's why. And you have to know... And I've seen Wrath of Khan to really get the... Because the character doesn't do that much. Benedict Cumberbatch is... But just the rest of the movie, I like the scale of it. The lens flare is ridiculous. And J.J. Abrams has already... That was like known criticism. And it's even worse in this. But like, I still... Now that I... Now that like Picard has not only like helped me... I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. I haven't seen it all. But I've been slowly going through it all. Especially a bunch of the new stuff on Paramount Plus. Picard sort of like, eh, the Federation's not perfect. They they blew that up too. The Federation can have conspiracies. But also like Star Trek can be many different things and there's a lot of different representations of it. So now that this isn't the only representation of it, my I was I had a much lighter lighter tone in approaching this movie. It just is totally reliant on you ha having seen and caring about Wrath of Khan. Which is a bit much. Okay. There are 651 hours of Star Trek yeah. out there. Okay. Okay. They are demanding that you've seen two. Now, you can make the case that those are the two best hours out of that 651, but that's a mistake. Okay. Why remake the best two hours in all of Star Trek history? Okay. You set yourself up on a new timeline. Great. Right. That means you can make your own rules, do your own thing, come up with whatever you want because it's a different timeline. You freed yourself from the, those 651 hours. You're now free and you attach a chain to your ankle. Yeah, it's it's well, I, I want to argue they're not remaking, but they are riffing heavily on. Sure. And I would have preferred, yeah, do a totally separate thing. 
I'm, again, yeah, let's let's now that we're 10 years out, we can separate it from any hype. We can separate it from expectations. We can separate it from them straight up lying to us about who a major character is going to be. But then it turns out he's not the only bad guy. So right. there's a little bit of a, a switcheroo in there. That's nice. It just it, Dr. Robocop is actually up to no good. He is but, so I love evil Peter Weller and he is fucking great in this. He is great in this. Mm-hmm. So once you you can separate it out ten years and just look at it as a movie, I thought I it was pretty it's good. Really good. Like it, it it balances story, character, and plot really well. It moves things along for most of the characters, and you have a lot of characters that yeah. you're juggling. Uh, it, it generally has something to say about you know like trust and authority and who makes just big decisions and who makes little decisions and what is the greater good which again that does fall into the the end of star trek 2 but my i think my big problem on this one is there is a point where it gets a little too this ain't your daddy's star trek with the big <laughs> the big fist fight at the end where where spock just loses his shit and they just start punching each other into the earth it's like I don't feel like that was quite earned for this character. This feels like a big diversion. I see what you're trying to do, but but it makes in terms like of being a, a physical a physical match for Khan, it would have been much better for Spock to try and take on a younger Spock. Try and take because Leonard Nimoy looks so old, even in Wrath of Khan. Oh, Holy shit! Yeah. Uh, so yeah. for for me, I, when I walked in and out of it ten years ago, it all of it felt unearned. That it's capitalizing. Mm. Off of a really special moment in Wrath of, Con- Wrath of Khan, i.e., not we go we go through it in eighties in depth on Patreon, but but thirty years worth of history right, they're building on, right? And here they're building on one movie. Okay, I I had a problem with that. That it's I didn't remaking feel like the sacrifice <laughs> was earned, and then they cheapen it so ridiculously, yeah. and that's the problem with this movie. It's so it, they it doesn't know how to do stakes. Okay, in the first fifteen minutes of this film, James T. Kirk loses his captaincy okay breaks the that should be a big deal yeah he gets it back like five to ten minutes later it's very quick (laughs) what was the point of that and then kirk dies spock dying was the death of a character people had loved for generations in the original star trek Kirk dying in this movie he's resurrected in 10 minutes how is that anything why do we that that is still a complaint because they are riffing on the death scene of wrath of khan and we're swapping it see i'm like yeah but you made it meaningless but also star trek 3 made it meaningless too and yeah there was years there was years in between yeah yeah i no, i like it being kirk to make the sacrifice because we've seen him change and evolve from being you know just a dumbass a pretty boy running around to actually caring and having to make the sacrifice. He loses his father figure, Bruce Greenwood. And, and now he, you know, has to make the sacrifice play for the greater good. And then they immediately just do take backs. <laughs> like if they had just left that to sit, you know, and they just, they just implied, okay, we think we have a way we can, we can fix him, but then don't show us that just imply it, set it up for the next movie. Cause you know, there's going to be a next movie because these are doing very well the, you know, that we could open the next movie with like he's recovering mm-hmm. something there's something we could do it feels the ending feels really rushed which is such a shame because i feel like 80 percent of this movie is like really fun this is good really it's fun it's watchable it is really well balanced and well made i'm always interested in what's going on there's like fun little touches and stuff it has one of my favorite shots in all of star trek stuff where they're hmm. just having a conversation with peter weller 
and he's walking in an office and the camera pans along with him and there's models of all the different spaceships yeah, yeah. and you see the evolution of space travel from capsule to shuttle to something else to something else to enterprise to you know all, and I, I love little details like that and i think this is the one where they show oh the mini skirts men can wear them too yeah. Right on. Yeah, because they brought back the old style uniforms for the Star Trek with, you know, women are wearing like go-go boots and miniskirts. Oh. But then they show, no, men can opt for that one, too. If you want to you wear a miniskirt, that's cool. And men can also uh, not respect a woman's wishes while they're changing. That's a weird scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, 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 yeah. just as noting, because no... I'm thinking about my childhood or teenage years, and there was many situations where a lady has to change in front of me. Don't look. I never did. And and sometimes I regret that. Kirk looked immediately. <laughs> well, and so did the that's director. Another problem I have with this film, they take the stereotype of Captain Kirk rather than the actual character. Like mm. his whole thing in this movie is that he he takes too much risk. He doesn't know uh, how to do risk benefit analysis. But that's not the original Kirk. The original Kirk was someone who would break the chain of the command if it was absolutely necessary and he took risk but they were calculated risk and he always respected the lives of his crew and that's not the kirk we're seeing in this film mm. we're seeing a character i mean con conversely we're seeing because it's a different kirk conversely yeah. i think this is this is when chris pine figures out how to be more shatner-esque and more <laughs> funny and likable as kirk because i thought he was pretty stiff in the original and I, I this is this is the movie even back then like okay i like chris pine I like him. Oh, I, I yeah. think he's great. Yeah, I thought I thought he was I thought he's doing a great job. And but just... I would love to have seen him continue as Kirk for more than what we got, for what it's worth. I have problems with this film, but I like him as an actor. It's allegedly not mm -hmm. over. But it's again it's bizarre to think it's about over. Come oh, on. Oh yeah, sure. It's been totally. A uh, but I like this movie enough to to I'm going right I'm on Paramount Plus. I'm gonna go right into Beyond just because I I, maybe I didn't give this movie a fair shake, but also that like, what was Star Trek doing 10 years ago? I don't know or remember, but compared to now when there are how four simultaneously running Star Trek shows, it, give or take the end of Picard. Yeah, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks. Uh, wow. Those are all currently... I think Picard just ended, but like you are not at any loss for Star Trek content now and Star Trek representation. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Again, 14 year old JR would slap me silly for you have all this Star Trek and you haven't watched any of it. Jesus. <laughs> I am, I am so pop culturally rich compared to my 14 year old. It's a mountain of content on Paramount plus over there. You got to check it out. And, and, and I think, yeah, you'll probably, you'll probably dig strange new worlds. It's the Pike, <laughs> the Pike years. I, I like to think, though, that did this movie finally bury the if someone is in a glass cage, they are a supervillain who chose to be there because we've had a whole bunch of those. We've had Loki. the Hannibal Lecter cage. I mean, we just had Skyfall not that long ago. It's the exact same thing. We have, you Loki. have a supervillain and Loki does it, too. Or Thor 2 does it. We got that coming up. Yeah. If you have a supervillain, you probably shouldn't put them in the glass box because they want to be put in the glass box so they can escape from glass box. But that's, that's it's, I think, yeah, ultimately... I just a, call it the Hannibal Lecter. I don't know what they call it on TV tropes, but I always call it the Hannibal Lecter prison. I think, because, again, I, 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 I think for a long time I fed off my real Star Trek fans fandom, and 
you know, they're valid and in, in, perhaps invalid complaints. I have not seen all Star Trek, but I'm now loving it more than ever. So I won't pretend to be a purist, but just in terms of the movie, Khan is not presented as anybody who's done anything to Kirk in his universe to not, to not only be an adversary to Kirk and the crew, but to be any kind of major threat that the Federation is even aware of. You're only he did World War three. That was his thing <laughs> in a different movie. In a different movie, not in this movie, not in anything you, you've seen. That was part of Khan returning for the movie. He was this villain Kirk couldn't best, just only, what, subdue and abandon, and mm. then comes back and is running the fucking Enterprise. This movie didn't earn any of that, and, yeah. and it, it, it's riding off the re Ricardo Montalban's reputation. <laughs> it, it is, and like I don't know that Khan does anything even that terrible in the movie. Well, I guess this, that is an interesting change. In the, in the original, Khan has a personal beef. Yeah. With the Enterprise and Kirk in particular. And this one, he's just like, you fuckers are getting in my way. Go away. Yes. You, I don't I don't even care. No, he's also using them to get what doing. he wants because of because yeah. technically yeah, the Federation's the bad guy. Yeah, you you guys are dumb. Also, neither one of these actors look like they are Sikh gentlemen. And I <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the people are very welcoming at Sikh Gudwaras. And if Benedict Cumberbatch came in and wanted to learn, he could convert, but Sing is the last name for Sikh people. <laughs> Look it up. I don't know. I like I, but I, as a movie, had a great, much better time with it than I had in theaters. And a lot of my complaints, I just don't care about anymore. Mm. I like that Leonard Nimoy's in another Star Trek thing as Spock. Now that we don't have him anymore at all, it's it's just yeah. nice to see him there. Yeah. And we, seriously, I was like. What a fucking bitch J.J. Abrams is. He can't commit to this reboot. He's got to make it a sidequel, an alternate mm. universe version. And now I just find it nice. It's weird. But uh, but yeah, and yeah. as far as an action movie, a Star Trek action movie, which most Star Trek fans would tell you, that's not possible. Crowd-pleasing popcorn action movie. I'm like, this is it. This is it. Action-based. It's crowd-pleasing. I don't know if Star Trek fans will love it, but like objectively, it's a fine film. And it's fine. Couldn't get through all yeah. of Beyond because it was late, but uh, yeah, it made me excited to watch Beyond, which I have never done. Never. Because of mm. how much people hated that movie. Anyway. Really? Uh, a Star Trek fan, like, I mean, if you, you've been podcasting for a long time and a young man named Brett Elston, like, really had a distaste for these. And, you know, my opinions were just kind of his because, like, I, he had more Star Trek experience. He liked the Star Treks I liked uh, and knew much more. And he said it was wrong. So I'm like, yeah, it's wrong. And now it's just like, mm -hmm. uh, Star Trek's a lot of different things now and I don't have to care as much. Um, yeah, exactly. There's, yeah. there's different Star Treks for, of for it, different yeah. tastes. Right. So, yeah, if you want this kind of Star Trek, fine. If you want nonstop the talking around a table Star Trek, you can find that. Too. Talking to Star Trek fans has led me to never watch Discovery because my Star oh. Trek friends don't like that. And this hasn't even remotely happened in reality, but I think it should happen in reality. Hmm. I honestly think geek fans in 1993 and 2003 had more right to be angry yeah. about something not being to their taste than... 2013 or 2023 because there was just a lot less of it if you got a star trek series in 1993 that was it that was all you were gonna get yeah for like a decade uh, yeah for like <laughs> yep. a decade mm, yeah. and if you get a star trek series that you don't like today there's three others yeah running right now <laughs> there's this okay? there's a star trek rick and morty that's very good <laughs> yeah and and I just remember, I think we're operating under old data because I do remember when it was like, this is the only X I'm ever going to get. Yes. And I like really deeply cared about it. But now I'm like, hey, there's going to be 
more of this in the future. Yep. Almost certainly. Anything that I am aware of existing before the year 2000 will be remade again and again and again until <laughs> time I, I try ends. I try and keep my myself aware of it, but my just being at my around my dad, he's like, oh, Guardians movie knocked off the Mario movie, uh, the number one spot. Really is a good time to be you. I'm like, yeah, what do I have to fucking complain about? Everything I ever wanted, I'm getting. Yeah, I'm just not not that person anymore. It's it's it has less to do with personal growth and just like options. Like I don't have to yeah, anyway. Sorry. But yeah, Star Trek into darkness, like I developed a new appreciation for it. I'm not clouding it with ten years ago fandom, judgment, geeky entitlement. And uh yeah, I wonder I I I feel like most people corrected me and like Star Trek into darkness is pretty good. And yeah, I'm there now. I'm back. You were right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got flaws. It's got problems. It's not to every taste. Mm -hmm. Just take it as it is on its own. Yeah. I but I, I really like the characters. Like it's just odd that like yeah, casting is not a problem with this at all. Like I really like I've always liked these characters, and I really like these versions of them very very much. And just makes me mad, Anton Yelchin. Like someone that young, no mm -hmm. drugs, it, just a fucking shitty jeep accident. It makes me mad. Makes me yeah. real mad. Yeah, good guy. Getting into the shows of 2013, something I'm infinitely less familiar with, despite watching nearly every episode of uh, 90210 TOS. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 90210, there's Beverly Hills 90210, and then there's 90210. 90210 is the CW reboot, and it's not a reboot, it's a sequel? It's a sequel series. Yeah. It focuses on a new cast of characters though donna and brenda made cameos and kelly is an important recurring character and that's it i'm sorry that's all <laughs> i know I, I have no more information on the show everything i look up is like focused on the original 90210 or the reboot i mean that's recent like this is i can't believe there's entire forgotten 90210 to, to, just to reiterate how times have changed i watched 90210 because everybody was watching it and talking about it. Yeah. I never liked it. I, <laughs> but there was nothing else to watch at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday. So I watched four years. Never cared about it. Doesn't, don't, don't care if it didn't care then, don't care now. But that's, can you imagine being like, like watching a show you don't care about for <laughs> dozens no, of hours? and is dead. Dozens of hours. Like, that's where I was. So, I, yeah, not going to see me up in arms over anything 90210 related. Other things I'm not watching, American Idol, season 12, where Candace Glover wins. Taking a shot at her more famous brother, Donald. I don't know who this is. No. No? Uh, no. She's a singer. She's, she's very good. I like her. Whatever. Well, the show sure can make idols out of people like, yep. who's that again? Candace Glover. <laughs> In the much better, more interesting song contest, the Eurovision song contest this week, Denmark's Emilie de Forest with Only Teardrops. Man, two eye-related songs <laughs> across mm. the decades. Yeah, uh, I think you'll see in this clip, though, how the production values have changed over yes. 20 years. I, I guess... used to be just, and then people sing on a bare-ass stage, and now fire and aerialists, explosions <laughs> and dancers and sets exploding. It, oh, it's so good. Yeah, I'm going to hear a little bit of this song. Listen to put it... We're on the edge tonight. No shooting star to guide us. Oh, I love a walking drummer. It's interesting. It's 20 years after the last Eurovision song we heard, but the 
hasn't evolved a ton. Like I'm saying that as a compliment. It's still kind of a classic poppy ballad yeah. that wins. And That's true. I mean, yeah, this could be a Katy Perry song, and I'd be like, sure. Yeah. It's power uh, ballad. Gotcha. Also this week, uh, Mad Men The Crash. Tell me. Tell oh, me about so, Mad Men The Crash. I do oh not. This is, the, for, this is the episode where Don Draper gets on speed. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a genius episode, okay? A very unimportant character named Frank Gleason dies. Everyone's depressed, so they bring in a doctor friend to inject everyone with a energy serum <laughs> to give them three days of uninterrupted creative focus energy and confidence wow. to get some serious work done and that's when things get weird that is when they go everything you want madmen on speed to be like this is don wow. draper talking on speed i know you're all feeling the darkness here today but there's no reason to give in no matter what you've heard, this process will not take years. In my heart, I know we cannot be defeated because there is an answer that will open the door. There is a way around this system. This is a test of our patience and commitment. One great idea can win someone over. Dear Lord, you're as good as they say. He seems so much more like a starship captain in the way he's walking in and moving his arms. It's a much less cool version of Don Draper. Holy shit. But just this sounds like dialogue from the Matrix movie. Yeah. They're probably talking about like the Tostinos no, campaign. No, I want to see it. Don Draper in the Matrix. Yes. Someone do one of those AI things and make that happen. Except that he's probably uh, talking about, about Little Caesar's about... pretzel crust or yeah. something like that. <laughs> talking about the freedom of the human race. He's talking about, you know, fucking ad. Oh. <laughs> and then, then he starts talking to Ken, who uh, has been in an accident with the Chevy execs. And then Ken starts tap dancing as he's talking to Don. You understand that I have no power whatsoever. That's not true. Not if they like you. Oh, they like me. All right. I'm their favorite toy. That's your job. It's my job to take them to dinner at 80 miles an hour. It's my job to stop a mile from the restaurant so they can have five pounds of crab legs and three bottles of beer apiece and then go get prime rib. It's my job to go hunting so they can fire off their guns an inch from my ear and laugh when I get startled because it's my job. Where'd you learn that? My mother. No. My first girlfriend. What the fuck? <laughs> I gotta get I gotta get back into this series. Cause that, that guy to me is just Ken's just the LA noir guy, and I love seeing mm -hmm. him in the flesh. Oh my god. Oh my god, that's hysterical. This and the John Mulaney special, like, am I missing out on speed? Listeners, no. let me know. No. Um <laughs> No. What what? No. You like Ever having teeth? Ever <laughs> I'm tired of it, actually. This pamphlet on meth, Chris. Now, how, in, oh, yeah, how important is teeth retention to you? I mean, if you can just get a new false set every once in a while, like, what the fuck? This is, these things require constant maintenance. No one talks about that. Uh, <laughs> hate them. All my dreams involve shit with my teeth. It sucks. And so then also this week, How I Met Your Mother. Something new, the episode Something New. The mother is shown for the first time? The mother is shown for the first time. And, Whoa. yeah, 
uh, they spend the entire next season practically at the wedding. And I've been fairly glowing towards how I met your mother this year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come down hard on it next year. I think their season is by far their worst season of all time. I think they mess up a number of major plot lines and I'm, actively ignoring the ending they chose to go with and i have a fan edit ending that is the true ending in my heart man okay i have high praise for the next thing we're going to talk about because i i went back and watched the last four all right yeah everybody everyone stretch get ready i I think this is going to be a a discussion you think uh well i it's a big tv moment man yeah it's uh yeah i feel like this to me this week and next week, we have two uh, two of the most beloved comedies of all time ending. This was the end of network television for me. I think so. This is the last, <laughs> I don't is. think I don't think you're alone because this is the last this time the anyone last I know cared. Time I was like religious about a network television show. This was the last time I watched network television shows with commercials instead of just waiting for a streaming service. This was the last time I was like caring. DVR'd something? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's where a lot of the nostalgia comes from with younger folks out there. What are we talking about, everyone? Goodbye, office. Here we go. Steve Carell, Rain Wilson. <laughs> yeah. I've always hated this theme song. I <laughs> so, love this theme song. Oh, I gotta skip it every time. Perfect. Oh, I loved it. No, I love it. At least every... these last couple episodes, it's just like the show just starts. Remember, again, readjusting my fandom, I began my life with The Office as a Ricky Gervais purist. I'd watched mm-hmm. that Office 100,000 times. I still believe the Christmas specials, that's the best Office finale that there is. But mm-hmm. this is, but this Office is fucking different. And it, it ended up warming its way into my heart in a completely different way with completely different characters. There's no value to any of the characters on the British Office other than, than four of them. But somehow the American, Greg Daniels, ended up like you care about every member of this of this crew every single one you want to know what happens to them and thank god they take an hour long episode to deliver satisfying if not you know fairy tale finales for every single one of these characters you just described why there are 201 episodes of the american yeah. office and 12 <laughs> episodes of the british office okay cuz you can put up with nothing but hatred for 12 episodes. Yeah. You can't put up with nothing but hatred for 201 episodes. Yes. And it was season two. two of The Office, which they realized that. They went, they rebuilt if this Michael. is going to last, we need to have people like our characters. And they succeeded because, by God, I am so happy these people have a happy ending. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, it made me smile. That all of these characters, except for Creed, has a good future. <laughs> and it, Creed ends by being arrested, and that's that's perfect for him. Yeah, it seems honestly. like he's maybe he'll love be it. better off in jail. Yeah, all going according to plan yeah. for Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I I I don't know why I wasn't expecting it that they would end the series by dealing with it. This is a television show, and we find out it was on PBS. That's so good. And, which is nice. It's going back to the original and American family. Like the very first fly on the wall reality show was a PBS show. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and just the idea of like, now that the show is out, the fact that it exists 
affects these people's lives mm-hmm. that we never saw that the whole time they run like so did they just film nine seasons of the show and then they put it out that's I what guess. it is one of the most bizarre <laughs> finales in that there's a massive time jump yeah i mean for for a comedy like just to to zip the last episode i think they said nine months in the future and somehow these people have <laughs> TV viewers have eaten up nine seasons, nine years of The Office, and nine months on PBS. I don't. I'm not questioning it. I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. It's it's it gives them the perfect reason, in addition to a wedding, for them to reunite. They're actually being paid to come back and appear in a panel for this show in the show The Office. Cool, yep. cool. Yep. And uh, yeah, and I, I think I, I don't know. I mean, everyone gets some sort of ending slash new beginning. I don't know who's your favorite is. Uh, mine's Aaron's that she yeah. meets her first parents and they're really nice. so perfectly cast. That's a really touching <laughs> yeah. moment. Is Ed Begley Jr. and Joan Cusack. And Joan are her Cusack, parents. our parents. Like, I I see it. I actually see that. That makes sense. I I love Ryan and Kelly. Yeah, abandon <laughs> a baby. Still the worst fucking people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, their happy ending is never ending drama. Yes. Okay, that's what those two characters need and it's it's perfect for them. And 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 then every bit of their drama would have like annoying residual throwbacks on anybody standing near them and this poor asshole is just holding an abandoned baby. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Uh, but then the girl who always wanted the baby was like right. if Ryan wants his baby back tell him I'll be somewhere in Europe. It's, it's it is <laughs> Quite possibly the best, like, landing stuck of one of the cruelest things done in a network sitcom. You just abandon a baby and, like, oh, there's a sh- there's someone on the show who always wanted to have a baby and couldn't have one. Sweet, she's stealing it. God, I can't believe we're <laughs> applauding and crying at this. <laughs> yeah, that, that and uh, I don't know how to feel about Carell because it's just, like, mm-hmm. it, I just wish he had more screen time. Not just because, like, hey, yeah. it's Carell, but, like, he's... He's there. He's on the set with all the cast and doesn't really have much of a moment with them. He's in town. Why didn't he come mm-hmm. back to see the mural? Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. We did, it, not, yeah. not enough Michael moments. It would have been more. Yeah. I, it would have been nice to have more Michael Michael Scott. But if, if anyone's going to say that's what she said, it's going to be him. I can't believe you came. That's what she said. <laughs> that's what she said. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I, I do really like this ending mm-hmm. uh, i haven't rewatched the office except for one or two episodes since it went off the air but i right. watched the, like the last four episodes for this and i'd like to do a rewatch if i had time i mean right. it, it really filled me with joy but it also made me remember how much the office changed you know when jim starts his new business it's wildly successful and i'm happy for the character jim to have a happy ending i am and i really liked the drama it caused with pam not supporting him and that's a whole thing by the way do not google Mm. did pam support jim or not or if you want drama like kelly and ryan google that because there is (laughs) there is all sorts of drama in the office fan community wait are you telling me that people on the internet have issues with a female character and her relationship with a man no, really? that, now that you're gonna tell me Breaking realistic. Bad fans do that too. I don't believe you. Uh, I, you're right. I, I'm just exaggerating for comedic you're effect. Just but, silly. <laughs> but it really reminded me him starting the successful business of one of my favorite earlier episodes of The Office. That's where Ryan is doing his MBA project on Dunler Mifflin, and he's talking about how it's a dying business model with no future. 
and it's going to go out of business soon. So how can you make as much money as you can before it's inevitable doom? And the sense of being trapped in a dying industry that doesn't have a future and that never excited you in the first place, that's peak office for me, okay? Because <laughs> I, I started watching The Office when I had my first office right. job, okay? Yeah. And I can remember going up to the receptionist and there was a new episode of The Office. We would talk about the new episode of Office. And I was like, hey, maybe we're Jim and Pam. And we were not Jim and Pam. But <laughs> because I watched The Office, I kept thinking about that because it was so capturing my lived experience of this is a job that I, I'm doing it for the money. I do not care about this job. And that sense... I think dissipates by the final seasons. Yeah, I, I think that was the American injected heart because that sense is very much resonant throughout the British office. Like, this is a dumb job. No one really wants to be here doing it. And, and no one really feels like forming a familial bond. But because there's so fucking many episodes of the American office, excuse me, the office on American workplace, full title. <laughs> really? Yeah. I never do that. The Office and American Workplace. Yeah, is the, technically the title of the show. But, you know, whatever. Uh, but but it has so much, many more episodes to focus on bonds and allow characters to step out of the stereotypes that were very much carried over from the British office. They become so much more than that. It's kind of neat. If you, it, yeah. it's a neat, it's a neat evolution for me becoming someone who was not terribly interested until the casting of Rain Wilson and Steve Carell. And then like, eh, this is just not that good. But then like you said, something in the second season, like we're going to change the tone of this a little bit. This is made on a different shore. We do have different politics and niceties and things are a little mm -hmm. run a little different over here. It is a completely different flavor, but they both taste great. And yeah, uh, yeah I'm just very happy. I relinquished my nerdy my my geekdom stance of not getting into this yeah once once you get past the first couple episodes that are just kind of lifted from the original and mm -hmm. they just don't quite land like the pilot on this is really pretty rough it's just like actually racist sitting where you go and <laughs> yeah. by, by the time you get there and they develop the characters and give them just uh, you know it's just to take the time they they have so much time that there's mm -hmm. just so much more depth just because our seasons are you know 22 episodes as opposed to a british series which is like six or eight or whatever they feel like yeah, whatever yeah. 12 and it's two a specials. miracle we got 202 episodes yeah. out of it I, and, um, and i think the, the bigger miracle more. the bigger miracle is you know i go into a fucking like tj max and there's like shelves brimming with office based paraphernalia socks trivia games it is it is within i can't first of all it felt like longer than 10 years ago and i rarely say that on this show i thought it was way longer than that but i guess because the show lasted so long but the fandom that came up in those 10 years i never would have expected that out of a show like the office despite how many people i knew including myself who loved it it has the same amount of merchandise as friends which inarguably i would guess exponentially more people have seen and have had more time to see, but it's there. It's up there with like friends merchandise. I see and Seinfeld merchandise, the office. And it seems like a bizarre premise that's going to win everybody over. But in hindsight, like we're all kind of work at a gig like this. And we all have found family members that we meet in various places like this. It's, yeah. it's actually a very human or American experience. I, I feel like this might be the first show that's sort of been discovered by a new generation through streaming. Yeah. That's and through, you know, and just, and it's, 
all the Comedy Central runs like all fucking yeah. day. I was going to say, JR, like, like my, my, my brief for a couple of years, I had streaming cable and Comedy Central was just the South Park and Office channel. So if you didn't know what to watch, yeah, the Office is probably I don't think I've ever done like a dedicated rewatch, but I've tuned in for Comedy Central marathons that we're going to show every Halloween episode like this is perfect. Thank you. <laughs> it yeah, been... That's how it is now. And they've added Parks and Rec to it, too. So it's like my TV is just sort of on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. And that's what's what I turn <laughs> on to go watch something else. Watching and NBC 11 there, years ago. <laughs> I'm just going to watch The yeah. Office. Yeah. I mean, it ran for nine seasons. So, you know, we're only a year and a half away from the 20th anniversary wow. of The Office. So that's oh, that's a long sweet time. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, that's a long time for something to percolate in pop culture. And what was really interesting to me about watching parts of the final season was they wanted more seasons. Okay. Yep. They were, they were trying to bring in new members of the office. And honestly, that makes perfect sense. You know, offices right. change people. You could have brought in a new dynamic. Every TV show has a point when they ask themselves how long we can do this. And so far, the Simpsons is the only one where the answer is forever. You know, <laughs> everyone else, there comes a point when they're just like, we're done. We, we have nothing I, left I really, to offer. I really feel like that's just logistics because the fact that, you know, three of the cast members in The Simpsons play a hundred characters right. helps a great deal because I think probably the only reason this show isn't on the air is because people have to get paid exponentially more the longer this exists and the more money it makes. And if we really are going to enter the age of AI actors and AI voices, <laughs> yeah. that may not be true for much longer. Very you know, true. You could have young Pam and Jim if the actors license their likenesses I mean, appear not in to go off on a, this reboot. On a rant, but like that's why AI is so scary, and that's why the writers are striking because the studios, having dabbled in some of that as a, as a writer, like somebody has an idea, and then they're like, what they want is. They want a bucket they can fill every single week. They, I want, I see these characters. This one's married. These, this guy's their friend, and I want them to be in adventures for eighty years. <laughs> and I resent deeply having to figure out to hire writers to fill in those gaps <laughs> from the two sentences. That's how studios work. They're gonna love AI because they they know the premises they want already. But the office, it's like it's like duh. Of course, that's a fertile premise for character based comedy. A bunch of people forced to be in a situation that is endless. It's not like Lost, where people die and are supposed to get off an island. No one gets out of working. <laughs> Nobody That's gets out of working. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised by the ratings, though. It was beat by just an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. It was in a nosedive. You know, people yeah. didn't like when Steve Carell left. They didn't like a lot of Andy's character development. Honestly, I think they made a big mistake when Steve Carell left, they should have had Dwight yeah. become the new manager, and they should have spent two seasons having him grow as a person like instead Michael. of like the five episodes they had him grow as a person yeah. to become a good manager. He ends this show as a good manager. Yeah. He is well-liked by his coworkers. He does the job. Uh, he's still a goofball, and he got everything it's, he wanted. That actually might be my favorite scene. He's like, do I... Do my coworkers like me? Well, I'm just married this one, going to this one's mm-hmm. wedding, um, going to this one's party. Like, uh, yeah, I think we you could say like, wow, all right. Yeah, somehow a completely unlikable person like Dwight Schrute ended up becoming friends and family to all these people. But yep. the show also isn't afraid to have its characters fail at their lifelong dreams. Pam never becomes a professional artist. Andy attempt to become a professional singer ends 
fucking disaster. Ryan and, again and again and again and again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they still come to a sense of peace and they're still coming to a sense of where they're happy with themselves. And I think that's another important lesson. You know, after my one film, I tried to make other films and that didn't work out. It ended in failure. But nevertheless, even though being a filmmaker was literally a lifelong dream for me, I'm still happy where I am in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important lesson for TVs and movies to show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've had plenty of that, too. I, oh, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. I don't know if I want to do this forever now. I didn't, <laughs> you don't know until you get there. I don't know. The office is... What else are we supposed to say about the fucking office? Uh, just final thing. I'm glad they dodged a bullet because they were leading it up to where Pam, to me, looked like she was going to commit adultery with a mm. member of the documentary crew. That's what I was talking about last and, episode. Yeah. Oh, boy. I am glad they swerved out of that. And I can mm -hmm. like pra practically see... The writer's skids marks as they are turning that car <laughs> as fast as possible, getting away from that. He because has that like a, a poochy moment, like Brian was fired and sent back home to his yeah. home planet. Like it's just not addressed again. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the voice. That's the voice. The current voice of Mickey Mouse. You don't fuck around with that guy. Oh wow! <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, he's Mo but, in the Three Stooges movie. Chris Stamatopoulos, super fucking. Oh yeah. Yeah. But if Pam, oh, yeah. this character we grew to love over nine years had an affair that maybe ended her marriage to Jim in the final episodes. Mm -hmm. I feel like Ooh. the audience would hate that on the level of the Game of Thrones ending because it would like mm -hmm. ruin the documentary aspect because every time you're watching the documentary, you're like, well, he's going to fuck Pam. The guy, the cameraman is going to fuck Pam in a few years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm really glad they ditched that without a care in the world because I like these people and I wanted them to be happy. And the absolute yeah. most bizarre thing about The Office that... I want people to never forget, because if you're like me, you may not know this. I don't remember what paper company actually licensed the name Dunder Mifflin, but if you go into a fucking office, Max, Dunder Mifflin is a successful line of actual products now because of this show. Yep. I can't think of any other brand other than the Wonka candy brand that has done such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Something fictional becomes real. Probably will be with it, like till the end of our lifetimes, given <laughs> given how beloved the show is, there will be Dunder Mifflin actual paper available, and you'll be able to be, think about all these characters every time you load up printers. You, people still using printers? I don't know why people still use printers. Yeah, I don't know. But as, as a native as a native Pennsylvanian, I feel sad for anyone <laughs> who decided they want to go see the real Scranton because. It's a terribly boring place. Uh, it's not very interesting. But the and president told me it was there, a real crackerjack so. town. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> no, some Rust Belt shit. You don't want to go to Scranton. <laughs> Although you will see the name Mifflin around a lot. That's, really? that's a real Pennsylvania name. He was a governor, I think. There's a bunch of things named after Mifflin. So. Is the paper company not Dunder Mifflin in the UK version? I thought it no. was. No? no, something else. It was mm. in Slough. <laughs> Slough. Yeah, in Slough. Again, don't go to Slough. Don't go to Slough. Why would you go to Slough? Ooh. Okay, okay, okay. We've gone so long this episode, but it's The Office, man. It's it's one of the only long-running television institutions I think we were all kind of on board with through most of its run, you know? Like, a lot of the mm -hmm. stuff, especially yeah. 10 years ago, we end up catching on streaming or only last five years, but The Office is different. It was old TV meets new, and it's kind of, it marks the end to me of that must-see TV era. There was always a reason for me to pay attention from when I'm five years old to when I was 33, what was on NBC yeah. Thursday nights, and it, this is the end of that for me. Yeah, I mean... The last time we talked about it, but when NBC in a four-hour block was showing Community, The Office, 
Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. 30 Rock. 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best night of comedy in all of television history. Yeah. 100%. Fucking great. Yeah, I would, I would kill for two hours of weekly comedy that I loved at this <laughs> point. Two hours of low-key, yeah. but hilarious comedy. Wonderful. Yeah, it would be awesome. And you th- and, and More so than even the Seinfeld era, those were all like radically different shows. Even Parks and Rec and The Office are mm-hmm. completely different flavor-wise to me. I, I can be in the mood for one or the other sometimes. Anyway, sorry. Let's close out with talking about some games of 2013 dust 514 for ps3 i never i'm oh that's right i was i was not in the game's press at this point this i don't even know what this looks like it's very rare that i don't know what a game from this era looks like but a game people might remember because it went on to i think is metro last light the first game in the metro series i think it is maybe I think so. Yeah, I could be wrong. No, it's Metro 2033, but this it, it launched as a AAA title, and I think this version fixed a lot of stuff that they then implemented into the original to make the trilogy something worth playing today um, from 2033 to Exodus. But a very Russian story, as far as I know. I think it comes out of Russia. Russia might make some money on this, but uh, it might, might be odd to start pimping it in this light. But uh, Metro Last Light is out now for PC, PS360. And um, we're going to tell you real quick who died and who was do a little quiz you can play along with about who was born. I cannot believe I let Diana win previous week. How dare she? <laughs> Get a little plugs out of the way. Patreon.com slash laser time supports this show. Vigil Game Apocalypse laser time bunch of stuff. If you want to hear more about JR, JR, R and I talk about Rathacon, that was one of my favorite episodes that we did just because like was I was fun. in the middle of a Star Trek original series rewatch and that movie is so fucking good. It is so good. It, I, I said it on the show. My favorite movie trilogy might be Star Trek 2, 3, and 4. It's, it's very, very good. And uh, you can hit Patreon.com. Five bucks. You get that. Hundreds of movie commentaries, exclusive stuff, uh, more stuff coming uh, every week. We do appreciate people who support us. For the price of a cup of coffee every month, you can help us out. Di, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter for now at ListenerNerd, <laughs> L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. Dude, it's turning into fucking parlor gab over yeah, man. There. my god you got your tucker carlson oh, show baby what no oh the, a person i agree with politically did a bad thing it must not have happened i guess or what oh my god fucking conspiracy theories from what's supposed to be the richest man in the world it's just <laughs> rich people aren't smarter than us guys they're they're just ugh. anyway uh, or you can follow the show at 302010podcast. It's 302010podcast. We'll let you know when a new episode is up and list all the movies that we recommend in that episode. Mm-hmm. Coming up next week, oh boy, we have a head-to-head for dudes who are bros who are dudes. <laughs> <laughs> in 2013, we're either going to get Fast and Furious or we're going to get hungover. Hey, look at that. In 2003... Jim Carrey's going to become God. Which I didn't mention because I didn't want to prolong the conversation, but I think the one of the failures of The Office, it looked like for a time, oh, the biggest star we have on the show is Ed Helms because he's in a very popular movie trilogy. Therefore, he oh, should be the boss. No, yeah. bad idea. He doesn't work that way. Yeah. Mm. And we just talk about, you know, a beloved musty TV NBC Thursday night comedy going out. Its final episode got about five and a half million viewers. Next oh. week, we talk about one that got 80 million viewers. Whoa. Yep. And there's other closings in television as well. The seniors at both West Beverly and Bayside graduate. Oh, goodness. What? Yep. Sugar Baker and Associates closes its doors. 
No, damn it. And the Sunnydale Hellmouth is plugged. Ooh, really? Ooh. Yeah. Mm, it's a great episode. But I, I do I do like this time in 302010 where you get these fucking cultural bangers of films and finales of long beloved programs. Yeah, it's just such a bittersweet time to do this gig. But Diana's going to tell us who died during this period of 302010, May 12th to the 18th, across three decades. Oh. And it's a lot. Wow. Yeah, we had a whole bunch this week. Let's start in 1993. We lost William Randolph Hearst Jr., who was 85. He took over his father's newspapers in the 50s. And was still kicking. Really? It, yep. 93. <laughs> yeah. yeah <sighs> I know. Things seem like they're a million years ago or actually, no, there's like a guy who knew a guy. They're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> In 2003, we lost the last queen of the Harlem drag balls, Pepper LaBeja, who was 54. You saw her in Paris is Burning. Oh, this one made me sad. Jude Carter Cash mm-hmm. of the Cash Family Singers and, you know, wife of Johnny, who was 73. Robert Stack will no longer be slowly walking towards a camera telling you about scary unsolved mysteries. Was 84. Cavity searches don't stop until you reach the back of their teeth. (laughs) You know, people talk about how funny Leslie Nielsen is in Airplane, and no one mentions how fucking great Robert Stack is in that. When he whips off his sunglasses and there's more sunglasses under it, and he does not miss a beat and keeps talking, it's one of the funniest fucking moments in that movie. I've said that story before. He's always brought up by my grandma, because as she aged in years, she's like, you know, Robert Robert Stack made some moves on me. And I had to reinterpret that Mm. because, you know, she was at a lot of fancy galas given my grandpa's gig. He's the head of the Coast Guard, not bragging. (laughs) I think what she was saying, she met Robert Stack a bunch of times and really wanted to fuck him. That's what I think is what, because she brought him up a (laughs) Mm -hmm. lot. She is not with us anymore, so I'm happy to say it. That's what I think that meant. Mm -hmm. Grandma wanted a piece of Robert Stack. Mentioned him a lot. So my family has a special relationship with Robert Stack because Grandma talks about him all. Anyway, sorry. People people uh, my grandparents didn't want to fuck, we have. Uh, yeah, also in 2003, Wendy Hiller, who was 90, which shocks me because I thought she was 90 in like the 70s when she's in Murder <laughs> on the Orient Express, but she's a, a great British actress. She's in uh, I Know Where I'm Going, which is a really cute. It, it's been ripped off a million times. It's like the first modern looking rom-com from mm. 1945 and separate tables. She was, you know, a great dame of the British theater. <laughs> and then we're not done. In 2013, we lost. I'm going to do these in the opposite order. Usually I do them youngest to oldest. Dr. Joyce Brothers, who is 85, who is, you know, an advice columnist for good housekeeping and is, like, mostly known for just, like, showing up to make fun of herself in, like, naked gun movies and shit. Yes. And, and if you <laughs> – so we did an episode of Laser Time about game show scandals. Oh. And it, you can find old video was clips. part of one? Yes. She was <gasps> killing, killing, and they rigged the game so she would lose – and she didn't. She swept all this like fucking sports trivia, and she is hot AF, Dr. Joyce <laughs> Brothers, in this black and white footage. She is gorgeous and stomping all these men in this trivia contest they tried to rig to get her out of, and she still bested them. Nice. I, to, I'm glad I got to learn that about her because that's what I think about when I, this like fucking smoke show dominating a, a national televised trivia contest. <laughs> Killing it. Nice. Good for her. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, we lost race car driver Dick Trickle. <laughs> he was 71. What parents do that to their child? <laughs> I I mean, when you're Mr. and Mrs. Trickle. Rick Trickle. I, sounds great. Just yeah, as good. That's true. He's, he could just be Rich Trickle. That's rich fun, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fun because his name is funny. Unfortunately, he took his own life due to chronic pain. Um, please don't do that. Please go get on all the drugs instead. Did he mention his name? Might have been the reason. 
I wouldn't want to be that. I wouldn't want to have that name in elementary school in wherever, whatever town raises a famous race car driver. Yeah. Well, that's why he probably grew up to be the toughest guy that ever lived. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's a boy named Sue situation. Oh, man. His ankles were so muscular. Yep. Also, I think Tom Cruise's character in Days of Thunder is named after him. Dick Trickle. Dick Trickle. And then Uh, with uh, the dead people out of the way, what do we got, JR? It's time for the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turning thirty-seven, oh, a youngster, a youngster, born <laughs> May 16, 1986, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I am going to tell you the name of her most famous character that she played. Confident that you will never, ever, ever have a clue of who it is. Really. Hmm. Michaela Barnes. Barnes. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, Tom Barringer. Guaranteed. Tom Barringer. Nope. No, he was Barnes in Platoon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I this uh, is this is gonna be something for the youngsters and it's youngsters. gonna be a show yeah. or a movie that I didn't watch. Yeah. Steven Spielberg ordered her to be fired after she compared her director M- Megan to Fox. Adolf Hitler. Yes it is. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't hear that. Who is it? Megan Fox. Yes. Michaela Barnes is her characters in Transformers, and no (laughs) one refers to her as that. Everyone just says, you know, Megan Megan Fox Fox. in Transformers. Oh, that girl who moved over the car? Yeah, I remember her. Movies of hers we have talked about include This is 40, The Dictator, Johan Hex, Jennifer's Bodies. the German version. It's, it's a much better <laughs> version. It was so much better than Johan. I am Johan Hex. Come hey there. Yeah, I'm Johanna Hex. Yeah. Johan I'm going to I'm going to fight the old West Ghost in Satya. Don't take over Montana with these old pa- I'm, I'm losing the accent. Uh, <laughs> and then Transformers Revenge of the Fallen and Transformers 2007. And next year, we will talk about her portrayal of April O'Neil in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Not her fault, oh. but yeah, those movies are terrible. Cannot wait for Mutant Mayhem. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wish I liked Jennifer's body more. There's a lot that I like about it. That's right. I like her in it, actually. She's she's definitely she's pretty good. I yeah, and she's fun. Unreasonably beautiful lady. <laughs> yeah, it's like comedically yeah, this ridiculous. Is, yeah, if if this was drawn in a comic book as an editor, I'd say dial it back. But she's a real person. <laughs> she, Megan yep. Fox. And then and for a long time she was married to Brian Austin Green, who is on 90210. We're going to talk about next week. It's true. But a different one than we talked about this. Now week. she's with Machine Gun Kelly walking into Adam's arc the Paducan Dies Arcade. What up with that? There, I don't know if that story's been told yet, but that did happen. Megan Ooh. Fox coming into uh, the Paducan Guys Arcade. That was hilarious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's only one thing we could go out with. I I'm sorry. I was shocked when you said that that this Random Access Memories is Daft Punk's last album. I remember hearing like the french national army band play it dude in front of the president and he's miserable it's one of the funniest footage i've ever seen (laughs) donald trump scowling (laughs) i I have so many fun memories of this song there was a colbert show bit with like him and brian cranston like roller discoing (laughs) because because it's a fun song oh my god and 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 just one of the last times like none of us in the world 10 years ago had access to any radio but like Mm -hmm. this song was coming out of like windows 
Get Lucky <laughs> when it came out. You remember it premiered? It, it I think it was announced in a, in a one minute commercial on SNL, and then they didn't release the song. So people on YouTube kept taking the commercial and trying to elongate what is clearly going to be the jam of the summer. Get Lucky. <laughs> That's what we're going to close out with. And I, I still can't find it, but they did a Snoop Dogg Smoke Weed Every Day version called Get Smoky <laughs> that I really loved. <laughs> Smoke weed every day, and you hear the back. Smoke weed every day, and it's <laughs> awesome. Get smoky, get lucky by Daft Punk. Wonderful little song that'll take us out. patreoncom slash time Tell a friend about the show. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. She's up all night to the sun. I'm up all night to get some. She's up all night for good fun. I'm up all night to get lucky. We're up all night to the sun. We're up all night to 